Stay golden. Hurricane. Hello and welcome back to the Golden Hurricast. We are a weekly podcast covering Golden Hurricane Athletics at the University of Tulsa. I'm Ryan Token. I'm Matt Rectine. Uh Tulsa played in a fairly one-sided game last week against Washington. Um, I think it was kind of what we expected in terms of the end result, but we did cover. So what does that set our record to? Like 12 and 1 against the spread? 12 and 1. Against top 25. That's the... Uh, it's a very specific stat, but yeah, yeah. the stat, well, the stat I think at this a, point is an impressive stat. It is, it is, but it's just like you got to hit like three points. It's twelve and one against top twenty-five teams that are in the Power Five. Ah, okay, the Power Five is what I was missing, and yes. we've got another opportunity this week. Um, we've got Keegan. Re- I'm gonna mess up his name. Renault. Uh, Renault. Yeah, I was like, I I knew that, but I was gonna like in my head. <laughs> I was gonna say Renault, um, just because. Uh, words sometimes escape me. Um, anyways, yeah, we've got him on the podcast to kind of help us preview Oklahoma. And that was a really in-depth and I think awesome interview. So we'll get to that later. We've got, I think, you know, some talk about this Washington game to do, to do before we get to that. So Ryan, you were the Hurricast on the ground. Just tell us about, you know, like what was it like being at the game? Yeah, well, first, before I forget to say it, wear blue to the game uh, on Saturday if you're going against OU. Wear blue. It's officially a blue out. We're supposed to be wearing blue. There's going to be a lot of Sooners fans there. I think we all know that. Wearing their crimson and cream and all of that stuff. So we got to stand out. Don't wear some gray and red that looks like Sooners you, you know, Sooners colors, potentially. I've got a gray and red Tulsa shirt. Um, so wear blue. Blue is the, blue is the move. Um, so do that on Saturday. The kickoff is at 2.30 Central Time. Um, so yeah, the, uh, the Washington game, it was awesome. First of all, great setting for college football. You know, we heard about it all week last week, how cool that stadium is Husky stadium. First time TU's ever played there, I believe, unless I'm misremembering that and huge, you know, it, it really did. It lived up to the hype in a lot of ways. I thought it was an amazing place to play a football game. You really are right there on Lake Washington. You can see the water right in right by you while you're sitting in the stadium. Uh, you can see I put it on Twitter when I was out there, we did the whole like sailgating thing uh, with some with some friends and the on the boat ride up, you know, you get on a dock, you get on the boat uh, from there and it's a slow 45 minute boat ride over to the stadium. Really fun. I had a blast on that. But you can see in the picture that I posted of sailgating um, where it drops you off is right by the stadium. Like in the picture, you can see the football stadium is, you know, half a mile, less than half a mile from uh, from where it drops you off. Probably not even close to that. And it really was really, really cool to be there. Beautiful day, not a cloud in the sky all day, which maybe is surprising for Seattle. Everybody kept telling us not to expect that. And we got we got a good day out of it. Um, and it really did. It, it was a lot of fun. Unfortunately, the game was was pretty tough. Um, 43 to 10. Uh, lots to go through here. Um, we can take this. I, I'm trying to separate this out into kind of what are the biggest talking points of the game, you know, the, the most important two or three things that I, that I definitely want to cover. And then like, as we're going through those, you know, we can talk about whatever else's things come up. Um, but the biggest three in my mind are the following and we can take them in whatever order you want, Matt, but definitely got to talk about the quarterback situation. Cause we're down to quarterback number three at this point, um, waiting to see where Cardell's injury is at and waiting to hear some more info on Braylon Braxton. Number two is 
the defense played a pretty rough game. And I want to talk about that and, and what that might mean. And then the third one is uh, Kawan Parker, mostly just because Kawan Parker was a weird story because he got, we talked about him already. He got so much hype in the off season and fall camp and everything um, transferred from Arkansas was lo- looking really good in fall camp and then didn't play at all against Pine, Pine Bluff and like six corners played that it was, it was crazy. Everybody played, but he didn't see the field and he played a lot in this game. So I uh, wanted to talk about that too. And probably I assume that's because of injury, but you know, you never know. So, um, anything you, do you want to take that in any specific order, Matt, or, um, what do you, what do you think? Yeah. Well, I think the elephant in the room, um, is, and well, maybe not since you've already addressed it though, is the quarterback situation because, you know, it's something that just never seems to go away with Tulsa in the last couple of years. Um, we've just been dealing with it's, it seems like the position has something of a curse, like nothing terrible, but there's always like a minor injury or something that just kind of like lingers. Then we've had, you know, you had Davis Brin last year. Uh, before that, you had the game where we Davis Brin came in originally when Zach Smith uh, got hurt for a little bit that year. And we and like Seth Boomer got injured the same game. So, you know, Tulsa has already we've seen four quarterbacks. You know, that's not unexpected because your first game was against Arkansas Pine Bluff. And so I think we would have seen four to begin with. I didn't expect to see Roman Fuller playing the majority of the game against Washington. Yeah, me either. It was a, it was a, you know, bizarre situation, unfortunate situation against a top 10 team that it's unfortunate in multiple levels, right? You lose Braylon Braxton. I think people had a pretty good idea that like there was a good chance he wasn't going to play in that game. It's against a top 10 team on the road. If he's not a hundred percent, you're probably not going to win it. And so if you know, maybe take the safe route and go with Cardell who is coming off an awesome game, right? He played his, he played his, I was going to say off, but I don't know what else to say. He played really well um, against, against Pine Bluff in game one, when he came in almost at that, almost set that Tulsa record uh, for most uh, consecutive completions to start a career. And he looked a little shaky in this game. I understand the opponent is, is different, um, but they were bringing a lot of pressure. The offensive line I thought did really well, and we'll talk about this a little bit with uh, with Keegan when we come on and talk about when he comes on to talk about OU. But um, Washington's defensive line is, was not awesome, but also our offensive line looked really, really good. I didn't think Cardell was really pressured much all game. Roman Fuller can't really get around in the pocket. He wasn't pressured most of the game either. And so huge props to the OL right off the jump before I forget to talk about them. Um, that looked great. But then you lose Cardell Williams, uh, like midway through the second quarter. He apparently got tackled at some point, landed on his hand, kind of funky. That's what Kevin Wilson said in his radio show today um, or yesterday. And uh, and then he throws an interception shortly after that. So just like last game when Kevin Wilson blamed Braylon Braxton's second pick on his ankle, when when that got busted up and not being able to put the weight on that back foot to make the throw, uh, Wilson is also blaming Cardell's pick on the fact that he hit that he landed on his throwing hand and couldn't really grip the ball as well. And so he throws a pick next possession. He's out of the game. I assume because coaching staff maybe didn't know that the injury was the, these quarterbacks, man, tell the coaching staff, tell them if you got a problem before you throw your interception, they're all waiting before they throw their first pick to, to get that out of the way. But he throws a pick, he goes down, Roman Fuller comes in. And honestly, you know, for as little as we know about Roman Fuller, he played a couple games last season, like, you know, garbage time games. And then obviously he played a little bit um, against Pine Bluff. 
he looked pretty good. You know, like the stats are are there. He didn't turn the ball over. He looked calm. He looked confident. That's an easy way to be shaken out there. You're playing against the top 10 team on the road and he looked fine. He wasn't a, you know, a world beater out there, a quarterback or anything like that, but that looked good through a beautiful pass to Luke McGarry on the sideline there for a touchdown. That was, that was awesome. Um, he's not a quick guy. He's not going to burn you with his legs, but he's got a decent arm. So I don't know. Generally, obviously it sucks to have the, the situation at all where, where he's in the game and you lose your top two guys in a game that you're thinking maybe some magic happens and you can play with a top 10 team on the road. Um, that didn't end up going Tulsa's way, unfortunately. But what did you think about Roman? Have you heard anything about Cardell and his hand? All I've heard is that there's a he's it's still up in the air, just like Braylon Braxton is. So I have no idea about the quarterback situation going into OU. But what do you think about the whole deal? Yeah. So Kevin Wilson today said that he thinks that Cardell is healthier than Braylon Braxton at this point. So in terms of who is more likely to start this weekend, I think it's still going to be Cardell Williams. I think Braylon still got um, some like recovering rehab. I don't know what, what term you want to use um, again, you know, Kevin Wilson comes from the OU school of don't tell anybody about injuries necessarily. Um, so everything that he says, I feel like you got to take with a grain of salt salt because, you know, he might just be being coy about it, but I firmly believe that Cardell Williams is not going to, um, I don't think the injury from last week is going to impact this week. And I would expect him to kind of be the starter going to into OU. Um, the thing that was, so this is, this is a grief, not with anything that we've talked about, but with the PAC 12 network and just kind of a little bit of a segue, you didn't experience this because you were there. And I assume you haven't watched a replay because it was on the PAC 12 network. Maybe you found it on YouTube. I actually, I did. I found it on YouTube and it was a really bad quality, uh, video of the game. Probably was the exact same quality of video that I watched. (laughs) Um, but man, I was talking to Pat. Pat and I were texting about this game, you know, former uh, co-host of the Golden Hurricast back in the first two, three, was he on three, two seasons? Okay. I think it was two. Um, and so he had no idea what happened to Cardell Williams. Uh, people at the game didn't know. That makes more sense. People watching on TV, not knowing that there was an injury because they just aren't talking about anything. <laughs> yeah. Kind of ridiculous. I only knew because I was listening, like I was watching, but also listening to Bruce Howard. Oh, um, nice. on the radio. It's like, that's the way to do it. If if it's going to be one of the, one of those games, just sync the video up with the audio. That's my advice. Um, as far as like their play, I think Cardell Williams looked very impressive on that first drive. Uh, yeah, you know, we, we marched, marched down the field. We ended up settling for a field goal, but you know what, you know, like for a first drive playing against a school like Washington in Seattle as a freshman quarterback with like so many young guys around you. I mean, that first pass to Braylon Presley looked great. Yeah. That's talking about the little, the seam route up the middle that, Mm -hmm. yeah, just a perfect ball. Oh my gosh. So good. That fourth down pass to Marquise shoulders. I mean, those were really good plays. And then we're down 14, three, the next time he comes back on, you know, because Washington scored super quick on that first drive. They scored pretty quickly on the second one. And so I, I think he started to play a little too like, I, I think the term Bruce used was like hero ball. Like he was mm-hmm. trying to do too much to kind of put the team on his shoulders. Like he's like, I can win this game. 
that's not what happened, unfortunately. I think from there is, you know, we started the throws weren't as good as they were the first. I think it, you know, Washington probably tightened up their defense a little bit at that time. And so, you know, we started to see some of those errant passes. Also, you know, he was injured. So, you know, take that as part of it as well. And then when Roman came in, like Roman is not the electric quarterback guy that I think Braylon or Cardell can, you know, can right. be and have shown us. But what Roman doesn't really do from what we've seen in the small sample size of game time is he doesn't seem to like rush things. He's kind of more, I, he's more of like the, it's, it's not commander, but like a game manager type guy. Like I see Roman Fuller. I think of like a Kirk cousins, like he can, you know, watch his routes, let him develop. And then when he finds the guy, you'll see a good pass, like his touchdown to Luke McGarry. He's not the guy that I think is going to, allow you to win against a power five school. I think you've got to have somebody super electric, especially in Tulsa's situation. But I, I mean, his efficiency was above average. He was like, I, I think he was a rock solid guy. Um, I just, I think we need Cardell or Braylon back to have a chance this weekend. Yeah. I Likewise. I was impressed by, by Roman Fuller's composure in this game. Mentioned that already. He looked it looked fine for him. He didn't he didn't look like he was out over his skis too much against a big time team on the road, all that. You know, he looked good. Um, threw the ball well, be, like beautiful pass to McGarry, like we mentioned. Um, so all things considered, good game from Roman Fuller. Uh the thing that going back to Cardell for just a minute, um that first drive was awesome. You're right. And I'm glad for glad that you called that out because he looked good. He looked ready, he looked confident. After it was 14 to 3. Not as much. All of a sudden you saw, like I saw it live from the stands, like his footwork just started getting real, real shaky. Like I remember one throw in particular, the most obvious one that stuck out to me, um, little crossing route. Uh, I can't remember who the receiver was, but probably, you know, eight yards down the field, crossing right in front of him in the middle of the field for Cardell. Cardell's getting rushed a little bit. And instead of stepping into the pass, he kind of backpedals a few steps and is like, it throws it off while he's going backwards. And it didn't even, it made it five yards. Like it was well short of the receiver. And, you know, I get it. You're getting rushed by probably a real big dude coming right at you. I'm not saying I'd be, I'd be any better, but like the footwork's got to be there. And he, he, it just got a little shaky for him out there. And I do think maybe that was because he wanted to be that guy, right? Like, I think he's just watching him on the sidelines and stuff and how he celebrates after touchdowns. I think he's a really, really confident dude. He, he just comes off that way and he's got all the confidence in the world. This is good. You want that in your quarterback. But also, if you're a young guy and you've got the mentality, I can totally see how if your confidence gets shaken a little bit and you're on the road, and you're like, oh my gosh, I need to be this awesome dude that I have in my head. And what if it doesn't work? Then you get a little, you get a little nervous. He looked a little nervous out there after the first drive or two. Um, and I get it, right? He's a young dude. I'm not I'm not holding that against him or anything, but I think my guess is that's what happened. But uh, just speculating. The thing, the thing that also scares me is, I. I this is very much just a hypothetical, mostly just to run through these names, but Cardell's will or Cardell's Williams Cardell's injury. It doesn't seem bad. It seems like he's going to be back really soon. Like you said, he might start against OU. Um, but let's take the hypothetical real quick. If Braxton is hurt for an extended period of time, Williams is hurt for an extended period of time and Fuller is the starter. And then he gets hurt. Who's our fourth guy, right? We talk about that. It's Steven Kittleman. 
He played against Arkansas Pine Bluff for like a drive. We got it in there. We saw him a little bit. A local guy from Jenks. Awesome dude. After him, it's literally all freshmen. We got four more quarterbacks on the roster. If you weren't aware, that is Kirk Francis from Metro Christian here in Tulsa. Nate Ratcliffe from Adair in Pryor, Oklahoma. Uh, freshman Will Picard, Bishop Kelly, and also an Ohio guy, Jackson Johnson. All freshmen. So not saying this is going to happen, but if Roman Fuller's the starter, starter and goes down, we've got Stephen Kittleman, who I've got some confidence in, and then we've got four four freshmen who have never seen the field. Right, so it gets a little, which is you know, you get down to your fifth and sixth guys, no one's going to expect anything. But um, just one wanted to call that out as like it's in it's within the realm of possibility at this point with how quickly we're losing quarterbacks at Tulsa right now that we might see one of those guys. Uh, but also part two, I just wanted to list out the the remaining quarterbacks on the roster. Yeah, and it's just this quarterback question has got me like I now I'm not so confident on the rest of the season because you know if you're at the point where you're starting like you might be seeing serious time from your fourth string if there's an injury to your third string because the first two guys are out like to me the season's kind of over at that point <laughs> like there yeah there's like a lot of games left but you know, your entire offensive scheme that I assume is built around probably your first two that your third knows, but is like, I, I don't know. So like in order for my projection, which is still on track, you know, nothing has gone wrong to, or like none of the results on the field have been like against what we both expected. It's just, we also thought Braylon Braxton was going to have played these last two games. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, obviously, you know, I thought we were going to go one and one. I still think we're going to go one and two through these first three weeks. Um, but in order for that eight and four to be still there, you know, we, we need Braylon like back in Cardell back. It's true. It's true. So here's a question for you before we move on to, to kind of point number two here. Um, if Braxton's still out, let's assume that uh, for OU, would you rather see a Cardo Williams who is maybe still slightly injured? And let's say it's his hand. It sounds like it is. He, you know, after the game, it sounded like he couldn't really grip the ball, but now it sounds like you can better. Um, but maybe not 100%. Would you rather see a slightly injured Cardo Williams or a 100% healthy Roman Fuller? Yeah, it's it's interesting because I feel like, you know, we talked about this a lot last year. And I think last year was a very different situation when we were talking about the Davis Brin because those games were happening in conference play when we were looking at, you know, trying to scrape out a potential bowl. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we ended the season five and seven versus right now we're in game three going into a an OU team that is starting to, you know, year two of Brent Venables is looking much stronger than they did last year. And Tulsa is not favored. Like we're not even like we're projected to lose by 28. I mean, that's, I don't know, projection. The line is 28 right now. So, you know, there are very few worlds in which I see Tulsa pulling off this upset, even if, you know, like Cardell Williams starts as opposed to Roman Fuller. And so at that point, you know, and I, I feel like maybe this is the wrong answer for Tulsa fans to want to hear is like, you know, this this is essentially a bye game in, in my mind. Like, I don't want to go into conference play. I don't want to go into our next winnable game against NIU having to rely on 
you know, quarterback depth. So like I would say, depending on the type of injury it is, and maybe this one, it's not that big a deal versus, you know, Davis Brin last year is he kept getting sacked and just re-aggravating. And then it became, you know, a back injury on top of the initial ankle, you know, like a bruised hand, maybe not as big a deal. And so like an 80, 90% Cardell Williams, who, you know, is not at risk for re-injuring that. Sure. If we're talking like a, Braylon Braxton, who's at 80, 90%, but it's his ankle. And we're relying on him to be moving around in the pocket and all that. I'm like, no, to me, like, I don't know. I don't, I don't think you do that, but I would say like, yeah, I think Cardell Williams. Um, but if it's to the point where you're like, oh, you could go out and you could see him get re-injured. And that's like kind of realistic. Don't just ride with Fuller. Like, get yeah to the next slate of games you know we've still got nine games after this one that are all much more winnable so our season is not defined by what happens against OU very true I like my brain understands what you're saying I, I get it right but like I feel like if it was anybody else I would be totally on board with you if but like for OU and OSU either of those opponents i Man, I just like part of me would want to put out the best players we've got, no matter the risk. And like maybe that's, you know, irresponsible. But when you we haven't we mentioned this on the pod, uh, on the interview with uh, with Keegan. TU hasn't beat Oklahoma since 1996. Haven't beat him at home here in Tulsa since 1942 or 46, one of those two years. So if you've got a not that we have, you know, a real uh, an awesome chance to pull this thing off, but if you want to have any chance. It's got to be with your main guys. And I just like magic can happen, you know, and magic. I just don't think it's going to happen. If Roman Fuller is the guy, not, I don't, I'm not saying that to be mean to Roman Fuller. It's just, he doesn't have the same, at least that I've seen so far. I love for him to prove me wrong. The same electricity that you, like you mentioned that Braylon Braxton and Carter Williams have. So when a big time game at home like this, when you've got a ton of recruits coming to the stadium a ton. It's sold out for the first time, and who knows how long for it to you. You got. I feel like you gotta almost. I mean, I, I feel bad even saying it. I'm gonna. I'm. But like, it feels like you gotta throw caution to the wind here, and give it everything you've got to try to win this game. On the flip side, I de- I definitely get it. Like, we're probably not realistically, probably not going to win this game. No one's expecting to you to win this game. If you lose it and you stay healthy, that's a win, kind of, because you're still very much on the path to a bowl. You come out of there healthy, all that stuff. I get it, right? But man, it's just anybody else. If if it's OU and OSU, I'm like, go all out. Do anything you have got to do to pull this thing off. If it's Oregon State, you know, I don't care. It, it, play anybody. Play any do what you got to do. I understand. Right now, I'm feeling like just you got to do it. <laughs> so I don't know. That's where I'm at. But I I obviously I totally understand you. It's so to me, it's like, you know. Travis Kelsey last week did not play for like the first time since 2013. And, you know, it was like a knee bone bruise, something like that, where it's, they could have played him, but you know, it's the first game of the 17 week season. And so they bench him because, you know, all in all that game ends up not meaning a ton. Granted, I get college football very different from NFL. Like there is way more, especially like you're talking about, 
you know, OU fans, we see them. We see they live among us, um, or at least among me here in Tulsa. Like, yeah. you know, I can't throw a rock without hitting probably two or three OU fans. And so there is something a little bit more at stake here and like civic pride and school pride. And I, I get that. And I don't think Kevin Wilson's going to like wave the white flag and just be like, all right, we're just not going to do anything. Like he's going to try and win. And I fully expect that. I think I'm just talking from what I would rather. I would rather not put our guys in a situation to where they can't play the rest of the year. And I don't think that they're going to do that based on how quickly they pulled Braxton and Williams in these last two games. True. Like I, I have confidence that, you know, if it's looking bad, they'll take him out. But that's why I think Cardell is going to start. I think Braylon isn't because like, I think, I think that's the logic. It's Cardell Williams gives you a shot. Not as much as maybe Braylon does, but Braylon needs, you know, maybe a little bit more time. And so they don't want to take that risk. Your comment on um, the, the staff so far being very willing to take out their quarterback uh, and, you know, roll with the next guy pops into my head, total skepticism here or not skepticism, but total, uh, just me top of my head idea thought is I wonder if they're being overly cautious with injured players because of Kevin Wilson's reputation on playing injured players from Indiana, you know, against their will for the most part that, you know, who know that could be 100% not what's happening. Right. But there is a world where that thought is going through his head of like, yeah, I, I know I like, he knows what went down at Indiana. Of course, like he didn't forget that, that's that this happened and that there's this narrative around him from then. Um, and so I wonder if he's being overly cautious, not that he is, but you know, there's a chance that he is. So who know, not, not that that leads to anything of like, does this impact who plays against OU? Um, because after a week, you've got time to evaluate these guys and get their input on on what they want and how they're going. But like live during the game, he was quick to pull them out both times. You're right. So I wonder if that's going on. Could be totally wrong, but just uh, just an idea. All right, let's uh, let's roll to point number two here. Really, the last main point of this game: the defense is pretty. It's pretty. It was pretty rough. Uh, however. You know, it's Washington. It makes you a little bit unsure right now, right? You look up SP Plus rankings this week. We are number 123 out of 133 Division One college football teams um, that in the FBS, at least on defense. Yes, yes. Sorry, I should have specified that. 123rd defensively. Um, Not that much better overall. I think we're like in the 100 teens somewhere overall or something right now. Or maybe that was on Chris Vanini's thing. I mean, there's all these rankings. Chris Vanini does the athletic. We are so low in the athletics rankings right now. I bet on SP Plus we're in the 90s. Um, but anyway, back to the defense. They are 123rd in SP Plus on defense. It dropped, you know, considerably after this game. Um, and on one hand, I get it. We gave up 563 yards <laughs> of offense. We honestly, we didn't really stop Washington pretty much all game. They didn't punt once this whole game. It was either turnovers. Uh, or scores for them. And that's not that's not a good look. Regardless of the competition, you prefer some stops in there. And we didn't get any. Except for, you know, we turned them over. The Jace Oliver had the pick and we stripped we stripped him one time. We didn't really stop him on downs. Um, and that's kind of the key of like your defense is actually, you know, making an impact over the long term here. So not good against Washington. On the other hand, it's Washington. They have the number two offense in the country. 
They have a top four or five Heisman candidate, maybe top three right now running the show in Michael Penix Jr. They are obviously very good. Um, And then to flip it back, they got 563 yards of offense on us, even with their two best receivers, Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillan, probably dropping a total of five passes in this game. You can't track drops for college football still for whatever reason, uh, which is very frustrating. But man, there were there were so many from Washington's awesome receivers, two of which would have been easy walk-in touchdowns. So it could have been, the stats could have been even worse than they were. So I don't know, you know, this doesn't give me a ton of confidence in the defense, but also I don't know how much to actually take away from it because Washington is so damn good on that side of the ball. Everybody knows that. So I don't know. What, what do you think, Matt? Do you think this is like more of a case of, are, are you concerned about TU's defense at this point? Or do you think it's more of a case of Washington is they're, they're the, obviously they're, they're the real deal offensively? A uh, little column A, little column B. I, so yes, we've had two very drastically different types of opponents. We've seen an FCS team and then we've seen the number two team in SP plus offense. Um, and you know, obviously completely different spectrum yeah. where our defense essentially gave up zero points. If you do the math and remove the starting field position for the first drive of the UAPB game, um, versus first play of this game went for like 35 yards and then you tack on the penalty, which was frustrating. Yeah. Um, and they're essentially scoring like immediately. So I don't know. It's it's tough to get a read for, I think, where our defense actually is. I think they're somewhere, I don't know if I'll say in the middle, but maybe closer to the middle than what we've seen. Um, and it's going to be tough again this week because Oklahoma is number six in SP plus offense. So we're going to get, and I think part of that is skewed by their thrashing of Arkansas State. Um but I still do have some concerns. I think our defensive line is fine. I think our linebackers are still good. The secondary is where I'm getting a little worried. And obviously, you're playing against a Heisman candidate in Michael Penix, um, who you know is trying to one-up Caleb Williams at every turn, and so he's just he tore us apart. But I don't know. It was just it did not look super great in the secondary. And that's where I'm kind of concerned for the rest of this year is we kind of had some questions there to begin with. We've got Kendarin Ray um, coming back, not the only one, but it just seems like it's definitely a weakness of ours. And I think, you know, I kind of wonder, you know, I look at last year, I look at our SP plus defense and technically we're better right now than we were last year. (laughs) Uh, Last year was one of our worst defensive rankings in a while. You know, you got the, so three of our best seasons ever for SB plus were with Gillespie, the prior, uh, we lose that we skyrocket. And so yep. I'm kind of wondering, you know, the combination of not doing a three, three, five switching to that four, two, five, and just like our defense is still rebuilding. I I don't yep. know what the issue is. I just know that it's, I'm I'm worried about it. Me too. I mean, it, it didn't instill any confidence, right? You can either take, you can either go to the extreme that the defense is terrible, or you can think, okay, they might be a little worse than I was hoping for because they did look good against Pine Bluff, but it's an FCS team. So, so far it's been hard to take too much from these games, two games in extremely different opponents. Like you mentioned, 
the thing about Washington was we were dropping eight in coverage almost that entire game. We we blitzed every now and then to try to get some pressure on Penix, like we talked about in the in the Washington preview. But when we when we brought pressure, it never really got home. We didn't put much pressure on him realistically, even though we were trying to. But most of the game, we were dropping a ton of guys in coverage, trying to take away the deep ball, the big play, all that stuff. Largely, the big plays didn't really happen. That was in two. That was in part because of the drops. There were a couple of big plays that straight up just got dropped by Washington that were wide open. Um, but largely, we got beat by these chunk plays over and over and over and over again in this game. The flats wide open intentionally. Like when you're dropping that many in coverage, those are going to be open. But when they're there, you got to make the one-on-one tackles in space. And Washington's athletes just beat us over and over again in that game. And sometimes we straight up didn't have a guy there. And it was like some blown coverage and little end around pass. Nobody's there. There's like four Washington guys running down the field with a block, like four blockers in front of them, you know, and that happened plenty of times too. So the defense didn't look awesome in this one. I don't feel great. I'm, I'm more on the extreme of the defense might actually be pretty rough this year. Um, than I am. It was just Washington being fantastic. Although that is obviously true too. Um, so who knows? We'll see like Oklahoma. It's going to be weird. Like they're going to be really good offensively too. So I'm not going to know how much really to take from that one either. Although when we talk to Keegan, Keegan is way lower on OU's offense than he is like compared to Washington, right? He, we compared him to Washington during that preview. And he was like, man, I wouldn't even put him in the same category. One of the comments he made was you could take Washington's top four receivers Neither all of them would be the number one receiver for OU, you know. So he's way higher on pretty much every offensive skill position that Washington has than than OU. But then you look at OU's SP plus offensive rankings, and they're only four spots lower. So I think Saturday will be a big indicator for maybe for what this defense can be, or maybe it'll be more realistic of if OU's offense is actually way worse than SP plus has them right now. We'll see. Um, there's a chance that we can we can show out and do well, but. Um, th- there's definitely some serious cause for concern on the defensive side of the ball right now. Cool. Okay. Uh, the only real thing I had wasn't much of one to talk about. And I kind of already mentioned it. Kwan Parker, the Arkansas transfer played a lot more in this game. He didn't play at all against Pine Bluff. Um, got to think that was because of injury that wasn't disclosed, you know, and he just, he was hurt against Pine Bluff and got hurt a little banged up. They didn't want to play him. Uh, and then they played him a ton against Washington here. He didn't start. The starters at corner were still DeMarco Jones and Tyree Carlisle, the same guys that started against Arkansas Pine Bluff. Um, but he did play quite a bit. And I thought he looked pretty good. I don't remember him specifically ever being one of the guys that just got beat. Um, he very well may have been. Uh, but just wanted to call that out as a guy who didn't play at all in game one, played a lot in game two. I'm sure we'll see a lot more of him going forward. Similar story, I think. And you may you probably noticed this too. Uh, Braylon Presley, actually, you know, he didn't, he didn't have a big game because none of our receivers had big game, big games in this game. Nobody had a big game. <laughs> yeah. Nobody had a big game. It's true. Um, but you know, he was at least out there and he made one big catch. We talked about it already. That nice seam down the middle. Um, beautiful throw from Cardell. Awesome catch by him. And I at least noticed him way more in this game. I hardly noticed him at all against Pine Bluff. Maybe it was because we were playing way more people because it was an FCS team and, we were just rotating people all the time, but just in terms of watching the game, who I noticed out there, hardly noticed Braylon Presley at all in game one, noticed him all the time in game two, even if he wasn't making, you know, big plays or anything like that. Sweet. Okay. Uh, before we roll the players of the game, Matt, anything else from that game stick out to you that you want to talk about, or do you want to move right to uh players of the game? Uh, 
yeah, no, I think I'm ready. I mean, it's just, there's not a ton to talk about because so little happened. Um, <laughs> At least fun things to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to, I'm looking back through the box score just to double check. Um, you know, we still saw a relatively similar split on the rushing game uh, in terms of Jordan Ford, still the lead back, 15 carries, Watkins with 11, Bill Jackson with 10. Watkins and Jackson had pretty similar, um, well, Jackson technically had five and a half. Ford and Watkins were pretty similar at four and a half. Yards per uh, carry, you mean? Yeah, yards per carry. Uh, did see them get into the receiving game quite a bit. Um, that's one thing that we, you know, we historically yep. haven't seen at Tulsa. Uh, we've got, you know, between those three guys, five receptions. So five of 18, you know, getting just under 33%. So I don't remember how many of those were screen passes. Um, you'll have to, if you recall those type of passes, let me know. But, you know, just looking at the box score, like to see it. Still kind of curious on... You know, is Watkins the number two? Is he the number three? I don't know. Just more food for thought. He's still listed as number four in the depth chart, but that depth <laughs> chart is the exact same as the one from Arkansas Pine Bluff. So still has Braylon Braxton and like that's for OU, a, you mean? Yeah. The depth yeah. chart that they re- Tulsa released today for the OU game. I think that it's just the same depth chart and they're just going to do that <laughs> all year. I don't think it's yeah. going to change. Hey, I mean, do what you got to do, I guess. Yeah, really weird. I, I saw that too about Watkins still being number three. Um, I still think by the end of the year, he might end up being, you know, the number two, number one guy. Uh, but yeah, for now, he's still kind of hanging out back there. And it's very much by committee. It's very even spread with Ford having the lead um, just barely there. But yeah, cool. Uh, let's do players of the game here. Um, I'll kick us off with offense and I mean, it's, it's tough pickings here on the, on the offensive side, as we've talked about, uh, the quarterbacks, largely ineffective receivers, not really in the game much, you know, the best was Braylon Presley with three catches, 54 yards. Um, none of the running backs really stuck out a ton. So I'm going to go with what I think is, is the clear winner in this one, which is the offensive line in this game. And it's hard for me to point to one person because it's the offensive line. And honestly, as we've discussed many times, hard to, hard for me. And I think a lot of people to really judge that offensive line and the individual specifically as the game goes on. Um, but they, I mean, you can just tell as a unit, they were moving guys like, and I know we've talked about maybe Washington's D line. Isn't, isn't that awesome except for one dude. Um, but he gave both quarterbacks, Cardell and Roman plenty of time all game long, opened big holes for the running backs that the running backs sometimes took advantage of. Um, so I think it's gotta be the O line, right? They looked good, which is a huge improvement over last year, which is what we needed, what we all were hoping for. Um, they, they seem to be really delivering and I mean, we'll see next week against OU. We talked about it with Keegan OU blitzes all the time. That's what Venables does. And this is going to be a much bigger test for them. I think than you know, it's, it's kind of weird to say that being watching as the number eight team in the country that OU is going to be a, a way bigger test, uh, from the defensive line perspective, but I think it really will be. So we'll see how they go, but this was a great game for them and I'm going with the OL. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good call out. I think, you know, only giving up two sacks in this game against the 33rd uh, best defense um, is solid. And I think that's something that, you know, we'll start to see as the year goes on is that the line play, the offensive line play 
is just much improved over last year. Uh, it kind of seems like they've started to make steps that way. Um, my question, Farniak was under center, right? Yeah, like, I think almost center, the entire the game. Center. Okay. Yeah. Like I'm confused what the situation was last week. Um, but that's okay. Anyways. Um, yeah, so not to I, I won't steal your thunder. I think one is just a you know, how many yards of offense did Tulsa get total? 150 something, uh, right around there. Mm. So I'm gonna go Braylon Presley because I think he kind of showed it was tantalizing with that first reception uh that he had just that he can get open he can get into space and you know get a big play and so in terms of like the most exciting play that Tulsa had on offense um outside of the touchdown maybe but the touchdown while cool wasn't like um I don't know the Braylon Presley catch for like the 32 yard seam route was just uh, I don't know it things to come from that. Yeah, That's kind of, it was, kind of it I was do. really good. And I also, before I move to defense, I want to got to give a shout out to our St. Louis running back here as always big fan of him on the podcast, Bill Jackson. Um, it says something when you even mention him, uh, you know, as a, a, an honorable mention for offensive player of the game here when he only had five, 55 yards from, from scrimmage. Uh, but here we are, uh, don't have that much offensive, um, you know, fireworks to talk about. Uh, but average the most yards per carry on the team, as you mentioned, he had some big bruising runs. Like he looked strong out there rolling over some people. So love to see it from him. Big fan. Uh, just like to see him doing well. So that's, that's cool. So I just wanted to call that one out, but how about you take us off on defense, Matt? Yeah. Um, not a lot of great choices. I'm looking at the defense like right now, just like at the, uh, the box score and I'm not seeing Ben Kapinski having a single tackle recorded, which is just kind of wild after last week. Man, is that right? I didn't notice that. He was definitely out there. Yeah, look, he doesn't even show up in the box score. Interesting. No. Um, And I think that's because a lot of our tackles are, I mean, you look at the top tacklers, Kendarian Ray, Kenyon Williams, Jace Oliver, Kiwan Parker, like <laughs> yeah, these tackles were pretty far back from the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Um, So I'm going to give it to Jace Oliver because he saved a touchdown. Um, and allowed us to get the ball and go throw our own interception in the end zone. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that that is very true and very funny. I forgot we threw our pick literally the next possession on kind of the same play. It was like an overthrown ball in the end zone. It just got easily intercepted back there. Um, yeah, I think it's, I had Jace Oliver too. Um, you know, you make one big play on defense. That was the only one of the night really. Um, except for, uh, I think it was Colton Smith stripped, stripped the guy. Um, and then Reggie Ellis picked it up and ran it back for a while. I think it was Colton Smith. Uh, but yeah, that was a nice play there. So maybe one of those two guys, um, Kenyon Williams had the biggest day, like numbers wise. Um, he had a pass disruption out there, but I think you got to go with, with Jace. Um, nice, nice pick in the back of the end zone, picking off one of the best quarterbacks in the country. Uh, definitely an overthrow by Penix, but you got to be there, right? You got to be in right in the right position to make the play. So shouts to him. I thought that was pretty good. Um, on special teams, this is an easy one. There was really only one guy to call out, I think, and that was Chase Meyer. And we didn't call him out at all last week because he didn't even attempt a field goal. This game, he attempted a grand total of one field goal, his first career field goal attempt at Tulsa or in college in general. And it's not an easy one. 44-yarder, and he hits this thing through. Looked good. Um, So it's got to be him, right? 
Washington never punted. So Cam Benjamin punt returner gets no opportunity to do anything. Uh, also oof, man, they never punted. That's still like that really, that really sucks. Uh, Jordan Ford on the kick return game only had one, um, and it was for 13 yards and so nothing there. Angus Davies didn't play a good game. You didn't give any, I didn't see any, uh, any beef ratings out of this one, but they would have been a little bit stinky. I think shank, he had at least one pretty gnarly shank out of bounds, had another not great one. So not a, not following up the pine bluff game, um, with some wagyu punts, at least not this time. So chase Meyer, it is for me. Yeah, it was. So for me, it was going to be Angus. If you just go the first punt, um, cause that <laughs> one was really good. Pinned them inside the 18, uh, second one. I mean, you kind of, it was still a 54 yard bomb, um, to their like 16, maybe, um, the net doesn't look so good because you had that horse collar tackle, um, that added an extra 15 yards, which not necessarily his fault. Yeah. My only concern, not concern. My only drawback with Chase is the first play of the game being kicked out of bounds. Oh, oh my gosh, I forgot. How did I give my award to that? Yeah, that's true. So, that was that was rough. Like can't start quite, off the game like that on the road against a top ten team. Can't do it. Yeah, two penalties on that first drive gave them an extra like thirty yards. I think. Yeah, so, yeah. They started. They actually started their drive from like the fifty, like the the forty five, like the opposite forty five. Yeah. Was it the thirty five? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rough. Yeah. So. And that's kind of like, I never saw, I don't think they had a single touchback. Um, I don't think he like kicked a touchback once. And so just kind of like watching Washington's kicker kick it out of the back of the end zone every time. And then watching chase kick it to like the five. I am just kind of like worried because anytime you give them a chance to return, there might be something out of it. And you know, we didn't get burned this this game other than the penalty, but we didn't get burned by a player on their team on special teams ever. But I don't know. Yep. I, I'm just it, that has me concerned. Yeah, um, I think, you know, I don't think Chase is going to be rock solid all season. He's a retro freshman. This is his first real playing time. Like he, I think he transferred from Penn or somewhere like that. Uh, and didn't he never took a field goal attempt there. I think he kicked it off a couple times. Um, but this is his first real season, you know, so there's going to be some bumps along the way. Totally expecting that, uh, the out of bounds on the road against the top 10 team on the kick first kickoff of the game. That sucks. Right. And that was followed because they started not from out, not from their 35 yard line. They started from our like 35 yard line because you get the penalty and we had a penalty on top of that, that took them past our 50 somewhere. Um, and so they didn't run a play until way past there. So that was probably the worst possible way to start that game, barring a kickoff return touchdown. Um, but that was impossible because we kicked it out of bounds. So yeah, not a great start uh, from Chase Meyer there, but I do like that. He, you know, get some confidence under your belt with the, with the first career field goal attempt going through nice long one. That was nice. Cool. All right. That wraps it up for, uh, for the game preview. I do want to touch on penalties and injuries real quick um, just to close things off, but generally Eh, clean-ish game, not as clean as game one. Game one, we had three penalties. Almost nothing went wrong. Um, this game, we had seven for 65 yards. Washington also had seven, but for 93 yards, so we beat them in the penalty yardage a little bit. Uh, so not too bad, um, but something to keep an eye on. Injury-wise, again, in total, very good game. Came out of there with one injury, as far as I know. Unfortunately, it was once again uh, to the most important player on the field, and that was our quarterback. So... 
two quarterback injuries in two games, not on the right trend there. Um, but as far as the rest of the team goes, I think we're coming out pretty healthy so far. You didn't see anybody else during that game, Matt, get injured or anything, did you? Nope. Yeah, so I think it was just Williams, and that seems to be a minor thing, just a bruise on his hand. So we will see. But that wraps it up for the um, Washington recap. So let's get you over to our Oklahoma preview. We are talking with Keegan Renault. Um, he's got heck of a resume. Former Sooners Wire writer, currently a contributor for the franchise in Oklahoma City on the radio show. He was a heck of an interview, probably the most in-depth preview in terms of football specifics uh, that we've ever done on this show. So we tried to hold, tried to hold our own with Keegan over there, uh, but man, that guy knows what he is talking about. So if you want to get into some football details, this is the, this is the preview for you. It was a lot of fun. Keegan is an awesome dude. Definitely going to talk to him again, assuming we play OU in the future within the next, you know, 14 years. Um, but really looking forward to it and uh, hopefully you guys enjoy it and we will pick you up on the flip side. All right, and we are here with Keegan Renault, former Sooners Wire writer for USA Today, current contributor for the franchise here in Oklahoma City covering OU, and also current owner of RPM Data, which we're going to get into a little bit. The resume goes on for a while. You've been doing some good stuff, Keegan, it seems like. Welcome to the show. First time. Excited to talk to you about OU. Yeah, I enjoy seeing y'all stuff every year. Um, Follow you guys pretty closely to keep tabs on what's going on up there in the 918. Um, but obviously, uh, yeah, down here locally here in Oklahoma city. So, um, but you guys do a fantastic job. Glad to be here. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I want to talk about RPM data. Cause I know that's, that seems to be, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, seems to be kind of your main thing right now. Um, can you tell us what that's, what that's all about? How long you've been doing it, how it's going, all that stuff. So we got started in August of 2021. Uh, I would say last year was our first you know, full football season uh, as a scouting consulting firm. Uh, and then we do some program consulting where we we do work with, you know, some of the local high schools around here. We did some work, more work this offseason. We're working with a couple programs this year. Um, but it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a consulting firm, but more on the football side of things. On the scouting side of things, we do work with in the sports agencies, biz, um, NIL groups, financial advisors, everybody that is involved with, you know, making money off the NFL draft and player contracts um, and marketing and all of those things. Um, We do, we're basically a scouting firm um, for them. And yeah, you know, we have guys that watch every single conference, every single power five conference. um, And we do dip our toes into the G five and FCS more in the off season. But, you know, I think last year, you know, I think you saw that, it was like 85% of the NFL draft or higher um, came from the power five last year, which is never has been as high as what it was. So, yeah. you know, I think the portal does that, but yeah, essentially what we do is we, you know, provide scouting, a scouting service um, is our main thing right now, but we do also do work on the program consulting side, essentially being able to help football programs understand themselves better than anybody else and be able to, in a predictive sense, um, you know, really focus on the things that carry over week over week, drive up, drive by drive, season by season. Um, and so, yeah, that's what RPM data is all about. Um, we got started in August of 2021. This is our second full year. You know, last year we made 34 recommendations on players in the 2023 draft class. Uh, 26 of the 34 ended up getting drafted, you know, right around nice. 75%. Um, 89% of the guys ended up at the NFL combine. And so, you know, for people that don't know, like 
like these recommendations are coming before the season starts. So, you know, we've got around 77 to 100 guys that have eligibility in 2024. And those guys were brought to the table prior to the season starting. Um, it's a lot like college football recruiting guys. Like the earlier you get involved, the better chance an agent or NIL marketing guy or a financial advisor, the better chance that they're going to have to land them um, to represent them for their player contract or for their financial advising and investing. And so, yeah, these recommendations come in pretty early. Um, so that's the fun part about it is like uh, Tulsa played Washington last weekend. I think this is a perfect example. Um, Jalen McMillan is a guy that we were really, really excited about last year. Um, Roger, Roger Rosengarten, their right tackle is a guy that we're really, really excited about. Troy Fontenew, their left tackle is a guy that we were really excited about. Braylon Trice um, is a guy that we're really excited about. And so, you know, you go, the list goes on and on. Obviously, as you can tell, I'm, I mean, you guys have read my stuff this year. I've, I've been about as high on Washington as anybody in the marketplace um, for an obvious reason. Um, so, but yeah, we have access to the coaches cut tape and all 22. And and so, you know, I could pull up a game on Monday morning of a game that happened Saturday. Um, so it's nice to have and be able to plug it in. Um, but as I said to you guys, I apologize if you guys have any Tulsa questions. I got nothing for you. <laughs> no, it's all good. That is good stuff. I'm I'm like, you know, we're not currently we don't have access to the coaches tape and everything like that. So currently when we're doing like rewatching games, trying to refigure out everything that went on, it's either. You know, if it's on ESPN or ESPN Plus or something, you get, usually you can find those pretty easily. They you can record them in advance and all that stuff. But uh, oftentimes it's not. Like this last yeah. game against Washington Fox, was on the Pac-12 Fox Network. Is, there you go. Yeah, Fox. Yeah. All these. Uh, you know, other. If it's not ESPN, it's hard to find. Yeah, and so you gotta rely on like some random account on YouTube, uh, getting some weird recording of the video of of the game, which is all like very choppy and uh, tough, tough to follow. But. That's cool stuff. When you're doing player evaluation, just one more, just out of my own curiosity for RPM data stuff, when you're doing player evaluation, like you're talking about preseason, all this, how much of it is coming from just watching the games, making, you know, the quote unquote eye test that comes from that versus plugging it in, however you're doing that into your data models or whatever, and, and trying to get some data points out of it. Yeah, we have a player projection model um, that is derived based off athletic testing results going back from every combine and pro day that's happened since I think 1987 is when the first combine happened. And so the process is it's a pretty holistic approach. You know, I provide and basically beat into my scouts brains like, hey, these are the type of players that the NFL is paying over the course of their career. These are the guys that have these are the type of, you know, arm length, size, weight for at position um, the way they run, the way they, you know, their agility, their side to side movement, like these are the attributes at each position that the NFL is paying guys to have that have longevity in the NFL. So guys that get second contracts, the guys that remain as free agents throughout their career. And so, you know, for our guys, in, when we're going to like officially recommend a player, so like a scout brings a guy to the table and then we get two or three sets of eyes on a guy. If we verify everything we verify, uh, we feel really good at that point. And so, yeah, you know, I think that it's a lot like in the predictive sense and, you know, you guys are kind of hearing me talk about it a lot, like in terms of, you know, if you look at betting lines or you do this and do that, like the things that carry over in a power ranking week over week, over week, over week, you know, all, all, all it's again, and what we're attempting to do is to be on the right side of that variance with players over the course of time. And so if our scouts know the things that, and have an understanding of the player types and the way that they move um, at each position group, um, the, the more players we bring closer to how the NFL is signing these guys or drafting these guys or longevity, the better chance that our clients are going to represent players 
that are going to have longevity in the NFL, right? Which is the name of the game and how those people make their money. And so, yeah, that's the approach that we take. What I love to have, you saw me tweet a little about this today. What I love to have athletic testing data for while these guys are in college. Yeah. But it, that stuff is more protected than all 22 tape that's out there in the season. And even in the, and even in the, uh, after the year. So it's tough to get access to athletic testing data of any kind in while these guys are in college. And so once, you know, the draft kind of gets to that, we get around the draft time and guys have gone through their pro days and combines. Like, can we plug them into our model at that point with verified results? Yes. Um, that is probably would be more for like an NFL team um, than it would be for our guys because players start signing with agencies in December, January after once they declare for the draft. And so at that point it's done, right? Like it's a lot of projecting. Um, and it's a lot of, you know, trying to just be on the right side of that variance with these players over the course of time. Like, do we have some really interesting results of like, you know, the traditional thinking of a player at a certain position like that the NFL is no longer paying those kinds of players. And so, you know, people get really excited about you get to like draft Twitter throughout those months. They're like really excited about a player at a certain position where it's like he doesn't fit the mold at all. Um, right. And like, yeah, will he go in the 50th pick? Will he likely be a guy that gets a second contract? No. Right. So like we take a very holistic approach with it where like we're not looking at just one set of data that's like, OK, this is we're just going to roll with it here. Like, no, we're we're using subjective analysis, you know, but it's very well researched, thorough evaluation you know, making sure that we're right on the guys. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, small sample set from last year with only 34 players, but pretty good results. Like if, you know, 75% of our guys every year are getting picked, um, I'm going to feel really good about that over the course of time. And, you know, I'll probably be going off the grid and working with a team and my guys will at some point. Yeah, man, that's cool. RPM data got to be following along with that. Any chance you publish your numbers every year on like the your guys that you're recommending, or is that all we all do? Private? Yeah, through the company Twitter account. Um, last year we posted our the guys that we had. Um, a guy that you guys would know, like Dorian Williams, obviously is off to a great start. Um, with his NFL career from Tulane. Um, yep. you know we're gonna have some smaller school guys this year more than we did last year, but. Yeah, that would be one name that is a guy that we had recommended early last season that ended up just, I mean, in your guys' neck of the woods, like, I, I'm speaking like gospel to you guys. It's like in your guys' neck of the woods, it's like, yeah, that guy's been really good for three years <laughs> now. Um, But again, to the marketplace and to the NFL marketplace, you know, he's still relatively unknown. So like, totally, it's not, you know, people, it's not necessarily, you know, people hear what I'm talking about. They're like, oh, you know you're trying to money ball this and find diamonds in the rough, you know, guys that are complete, like, like, no, like we're trying to pick a stock early. And as we, after we pick it, it's going to continue to go up over the course of time. Right. So right. like, that's the, uh, that's the main goal of what we're doing. Um, yeah. It's not just finding the diamonds in the rough. It's trying to find uh, deficiencies in the marketplace um, and attack those the best that we can. And again, it's a lot of like college football recruiting the earlier that we could get in, the better a chance um, our client has to build a relationship with that player and the better chance that whenever you, you know, have that relationship that they'll end up, you know, letting you represent them. So yeah, that's uh welcome to my crazy brain and RPM data. <laughs> yeah, man. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. As I mentioned, also, you, you also used to write for Sooners wire and now you're doing uh, some pinch hitting for the franchise uh, for covering OU. Um, so just a little bit of background on your history with OU. How long have you been talking OU football? And also, does that, I guess that that part probably doesn't tie into RPM data that much. Um, so is, is talking OU primarily just a, a for fun thing now, or are you still doing it? I, I know the, the franchise is going on too. 
Yeah, believe it or not, it does play into it. Uh, I started covering Oklahoma football uh, on the journalist side of things in 2017. So Lincoln Riley's first year. And like 50% of my time in questions, you know, like as a beat writer, you're reporting, you're doing, you know, story writing. And I got I got good at that, but there's not a lot of money in this business, right? And so I had the, you know, I, 50% of the questions I was asking to Lincoln Riley were like football questions, um, like football theory questions, you know. And he did it. He was shied away from it at times, but I think as him and I like got to cover him over the course of time, like definitely he started to understand why I was asking those questions of like, I created a niche in this market to where there was nobody breaking down the best offense in college football um, at the time. And that was my niche of like creating these long Twitter threads with film breakdowns of every single game. And when you find a really smart kid that knows how to build models in a predictive sense, um, you start putting some things together. And next thing you know, you know, mixing in with my film analysis, with the data science of things, you start to find some interesting results. And so, yeah, I mean, I would say me covering Oklahoma and Lincoln and Baker and Kyler and Jalen, like that really helped me see the picture of where I fit into, into everything specifically in the football space. And so, yeah, man, I definitely think that that had played a, big part into what I'm doing now. Um, there was just nobody in this market that was, again, breaking down what would end up being the best, most historic offenses of all time. Um, and so I found my niche at that time and I took it and ran with it. And you guys sometimes see it on Saturdays or throughout the week, like people still continue to ask me the questions of like what's happening on the football field. Um, yeah, that's my niche. That's why I'm on the franchise. Those are the questions they ask me. That's why I'm on air. So yeah, it's uh it's pretty, it's pretty cool. Um, but still at the same time, like people don't understand if I'm breaking a game down and like with doing the film reviews, like I used to, it would take me about eight to 10 hours on a Sunday yeah, to break yeah, every right. play down, go through nice. it, um, produce the content and do it. And like, I just don't have eight hours to do that anymore. So, um, but yeah, it's my niche in the marketplace and that's how I ended up everything kind of came together. Yeah. That's tough, man. You gotta, uh, if you can, maybe after, after the show or something, um, like Matt lives in the lives in the data science and data analytics world, like personally, um, he'd probably be interested in whatever, any resources you've got toward like how that, how that, that can fit into football. Uh, cause yeah, it's just, I look into a little bit, but Matt definitely knows, knows his stuff around that. So that's cool. Yeah. I'm not going to see an act like I know R or Python or how to code. <laughs> like, let's just throw, I'm going to put my, put my hands up. I, yeah, that's not me. I'm the football, uh, film analysis side of things. Um, yeah. but I know how that stuff works. I know what it's supposed to look like. Um, and that's kind of my role in it. Very nice. Cool. Okay. Let's get into some OU stuff here. I'm going to start with a, a higher level question. Um, I was looking at SB plus earlier today, or maybe it was yesterday. Um, you know, they do their new thing. I can't remember if they come out on Mondays or Tuesdays, everything time it's, it's all flows together these days, but Oklahoma, uh, in the latest ones had the number six offense, number 17 defense, pretty solid across the board there. I want to mostly ask if you think those numbers are inflated in any way, because you had Arkansas state who is currently, I think the second worst team in FBS, according to SP plus 73, 73, nothing win in that one. And then you played a pretty good SMU team who has a pretty bad defense, but a generally, you know, a solid team in SMU much, much better than Arkansas state. So the core of the question is, do you think those numbers come the end of the season, number six in offense, number 17 in defense, do you think that's generally reflective of where OU will end up by the end of the year? Or do you think it's a little bit high or maybe, maybe you think it's a little bit low still? You saw my eyes pop a little bit. <laughs> I would probably fade Oklahoma at this point, like from where they're at currently. Um, just to like, if you just tear the whole thing apart right now, 
Um, one last weekend, what offensively you saw Oklahoma fans melting down, um, regarding it, you know, I, it's just one of those things where like, do I think Jeff Levy's a really good offensive coordinator? I do. Um, is he Lincoln Riley? No. And I think that those are different expectations to have. And when you have what ended up being the most historic SP plus offense in the history of the sport, your expectations get a little crazy, right? Like, like you guys got to see Dylan Gabriel as a freshman. Nothing's really changed all that much. He's a he's a good college quarterback. He's a guy that can probably lead a team to, and even at like place like Oklahoma, the 10, 11, 12 wins with the talent around him. Um, is he Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, Spencer Riley, Caleb Williams? No, right? Like, it's just it's one of those things where like I I think the expectations are so high right now, um, and they have been because of the standard that was set. That you know you get a your your scope on things gets a little messed up, and even for me, like. Like it's like watching the Texas Alabama game on Saturday and seeing Jalen Milrow and do what he did. Like I had to go to my like he's a good college quarterback. It's just should he be the starting quarterback at Alabama? Probably not, right? And so, you know, I think at this point where Oklahoma's at, and I'm sure you're gonna have more in-depth questions, but you know, definitely I think offensively, I don't believe that they're gonna end up being like a top, you know, five unit, kind of the way they're trending right now in college football. Like Last weekend, they had a clunker against Kent State last year. They had a clunker against Oklahoma State offensively last year. And even with those games and even with the TCU thing and the Texas thing, like they still ended up with a top 10 offense in college football. And that tells you like Jeff Levy's really good at what he does. And you look at defensively, which I think is going to be the most of the conversation heading over the next couple of weeks. That's probably been the most promising that it's been in a long time. Um, you know, you look at when Alex Rich came in in 2019, like they had some really good moments where you're like, okay, this thing, Alex Rich could really, you know, turn this thing around in 2020, they have a top 20 unit defensively in SP plus, And even in most efficiency metrics, you know, they had a top 20 unit in 2021. That's probably the biggest story of that season. Not necessarily everybody's like talking about the offense and, you know, taking them, taking a step back. Like, no, they went from a top 20 unit in 2020 defensively, which again, COVID year, a lot of wonky stats to a top 60 defense. Um, and we've seen, obviously, at USC that the Alex Trench thing's probably seen its run at this point in college football. Defensively right now, it's as, I don't know if they're going to finish with the top 20 unit in college football. With the way that they're playing, do I think they could finish with a top 35, top 30 defense? I do. Um, and you, if you would have asked me that a month ago at this time, I would have called you crazy. And really, the, okay. they are at a point and they're playing with at a level of physicality, a level of discipline and understanding on that side of the football that they just did not play last year. Even everybody was coming so high off that Nebraska game. But Casey Thompson missed like five open receivers or their quarterbacks missed like five open receivers. They had like five catastrophic drops. And you're sitting there going like when they play better teams and the Big 12 is going to be really good this year. Like, what is that going to look like? And we saw what it ended up looking like where yeah. Oklahoma had the one of the worst defenses in the history of the program last year. It's much proved at this point. And, you know, I think the SMU game last weekend, you know, just wrapping this up, you know, I, I came in into came coming into the game. SMU's defense against Louisiana Tech one Hank Bachmeyer and the Bulldogs are going to really struggle offensively this year, but they played with a level of physicality and aggression defensively in that game that I was like, okay, like I think they're going to provide Oklahoma with a little bit better test than what people think. 
and you get to the game and they were very impressive defensively SMU was. And even at this point, I think I have feel a lot better about SMU's defense than SMU's offense, which I'm sure you guys are going to have questions about throughout the show. Yeah, that's interesting, man. That's, that's some good stuff. I saw a, a good chunk of the SMU Louisiana tech game. Um, but wasn't sure really what to take away from that. I, I like Preston Stone, I think. I'm not really sold on him as a as like a top end quarterback, even in the American, but he seems, you know, he's he's enough. He he can move the offense around. Um, I didn't pay that close of attention to what they were doing on defense. So maybe I'll rewatch that game a little bit. But that's cool. Um, you mentioned Dylan Gabriel. Um, I want definitely want to get a question on him. And everybody's gonna be mad if I don't mention the stats, so I'm going to do it. Uh, but his like his all time against TU. Not sure if you're aware. It's not very good. Uh, cause he, he played, he's played against Tulsa twice, both for UCF. Um, here's his all-time stat line against Tulsa, 57% completion percentage, two touchdowns to three interceptions, and he lost both of those games. So I'm not saying Tulsa is, is definitely his kryptonite, but like both times that we've played him, he's looked pretty bad. He's looked pretty bad. And he's, I generally, I agree with you. I think he's generally a good quarterback. He's not a bad quarterback, but for whatever reason, both times that we've played him, um, and one was at UCF and one was at Tulsa. Uh, we got, we seem to have his number for some reason. So all of that mostly to prove, to, to say those points, but also to ask you, um, which you kind of touched on already. It seems like you think Dylan Gabriel is, is a good enough quarterback to get Oklahoma to where to, to have a good season, but not a great quarterback in terms of how he compares to the rest of OU's quarterbacks. You So you don't think there's a world in which he gets there. He's kind of at his ceiling of, of what he can do or, or where do you think he's at? I mean, you guys got to see him twice, right? Like it, nothing's changed. He, he's the same quarterback he was, you know, three years ago. And like, I think from week one to week two, there was a little more consistency. And I think that roller coaster ride continued last year to where like you guys, again, I, I mentioned you guys have seen it. Like it, one game, he looks like a world beater. The next game, it's like, where the hell was that last week? Right. And one, I will say with Tulsa, like Joe Gillespie's not walking through that door this year. So I don't know if like how much historical stats are going to matter, you know, That's relative. Yeah. Um, maybe, if, I mean, if he plays TCU's defense, oh, well, they do play TCU's defense at this, at the end of the year this year. Um, maybe we'll see. Like they're, who knows that, that we'll learn a lot about TCU this weekend on the road at Houston. So, but, sure. um, you know, Dylan Gabriel is in a, a unique position, like position that quarterbacks of Oklahoma have been in before. And, you know, you go back to, you know, 2005, Paul Thompson with Rhett Bomar sitting there right behind him. And, you know, all of a sudden, like people are clamoring for the back of quarterback after the first couple of weeks. You know, uh, you go back to even 2015, like you go to the OU Tennessee game, like the cameras are panning to Trevor Knight while Baker Mayfield's playing in the football game. <laughs> um, Jalen Hurts in 2019, uh, halftime of Waco. People are like, why isn't Spencer Rattler, you know, coming into the game, replacing him? Go to 21, you know, the we want Caleb chance, you know, while Spencer Rattler is playing. Like, Dylan's in a unique position right now where he's got a guy behind him that a lot of people are really excited about in Jackson Arnold, which you guys are going to get to see him, I'm assuming, at some point this weekend. Um, But I think Dylan, he's it's just one of those things where like if he was consistent on a week-to-week basis i would feel a lot better about his situation we just didn't see that last year and it's just one of those weird things where like even last week you know i think was a step forward for him but there's still a lot left on the table there's a lot of meat on the bone that he left and i think he was probably kicking himself when he was going over the tape like 
Did SMU's defensive line get after Oklahoma's offensive line? Yeah, thousand percent. It didn't look like Oklahoma's line, offensive line, was fully prepared for the physicality at which SMU played at. Which again, I give a lot of credit to SMU and that group. Chapman is a really good college defensive tackle, number forty. Um, they have a couple other guys that are going to be hellraisers in the AAC this year, but he didn't step in the pocket. Clock got sped up, checked it down. Now, last year, he was taking some sacks in those situations that he probably could have checked him down to whatever. So, like, that's what I'm saying. He probably took a step forward last week from where he was at a year ago. But, yeah, I mean, he's not the guys that have been over the last, you know, seven, eight years. And even to that point, like, I don't know if Jackson Arnold is. Like, I, yeah, you watch him. He's got all the talent in the world. And, you know, you're sitting – but, again, you're, you're comparing – Jackson Arnold to Caleb Williams when Caleb Williams came in as a true freshman, right? Like it looks different. Um, and you know, does Jackson Arnold, I think in a better place than where Spencer Rattler is at? Yeah. Um, but Dylan's in a unique, a position, a unique position relative to college football. Um, we saw it at Clemson a little bit with Trevor Lawrence and uh, Kelly Bryant way back in, you know, way back like six, seven years ago. And then, you know, DJU with uh, K Klubnik last year, you know, you see this around college football at times, um, but obviously it's come at Oklahoma more often as of late um, than it has with other quarterbacks. I mean, people were clamoring for Blake Bell to start over Landry Jones in 2012. (laughs) So like, yeah, I mean, this fan base can get after it sometimes. Do you remember off the top of your head what OU's record was when, because I know, I don't remember how many games Gabriel missed last year or how much time he missed during games. Do you remember what the record was when like he was the full, he was in there all game versus when he had to miss some time? Well, they weren't going to beat TCU with him. Um, he got hurt. I think they were down 28, seven at that point. Now, like, do I think like Oklahoma would have come back in that game? Yeah. Like they were moving the ball just fine. Now they had like seven, eight busted coverages. If you guys remember that game where like TCU's receivers was wide open. Um, he missed a Texas game and then came back after that. So they were, you know, okay. they were six and five uh with Dylan uh or with with Dylan and oh and one without him gotcha okay I want to ask you about OU's receivers too um obviously always got some talent on that side of the ball seems to be the case once again this year Tulsa really I mean as you might expect really struggled against uh Washington's offense last week and man there, are... uh, real quick there's going to be a lot of teams that struggle with Washington's offense this year yeah. A lot of teams. <laughs> they may have the best. I know USC is really good with Caleb. They Washington may have the best offense in college football. I mean, and the thing is, we so they put up what was it, forty three? I think the final was forty three to ten in that game. They put up forty three, and they could have. They seriously could have put up upper fifties. They they had some easy drops that I don't. I don't think that's ever going to happen again for them this year. Like five, probably four or five. Just as, like you were mentioning uh, against some OU game last year. Um, bunch of drops came out of nowhere. No one expected it um, from their big guys like Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillan. Um, but anyway, uh, we were trying like Tulsa was doing their damnedest to prevent the big play all game long, dropping eight all game. And for the most part, that we didn't really give up that many big quote unquote big plays like long throws downfield. We gave up a ton in the short game, you know, gave up the flats all game long intentionally and then kind of struggled to make the tackle when it's one on one out there on the side or busted coverage out to the side there's nobody there at all and they just run it like 40 yards down the field you know so we had some struggles there um the flats were wide open all game i wouldn't be too surprised if with the kind of receivers that ou has if we do something similar i don't know if we'll drop eight as often as we did against washington but maybe something like that if we do uh end up doing something like that and the flats are open all game again who are those 
who are those guys on the sides for you guys that OU likes to get the ball out to in space and, and try to make something happen? One, Washington has four receivers that would be the number one receiver at Oklahoma. Uh, Adunze, McMillan, Bernard, and Polk would I, – I don't know if there's a receiver at Oklahoma right now. Maybe outside of freshman Jaquez Petaway that would make uh, that group. But, yeah, you know, it, it it's an interesting group. Like, do they have a bunch of high-level NFL talent right now? No. Like, do I, do I think that the conversation this offseason surrounding Oklahoma – being a little much yes like they still have talent like uh Jaleel Farouk obviously had his big the big touchdown at the end of that Oklahoma SMU game last week I think he's going to continue to be featured more like just get the ball in his hands um they did a really good job last year in terms of like the end around game and screen game and sweeps getting the ball in Jaleel Farouk's hands lining up in the backfield I I think we're going to continue to see the best of him as we go throughout the season Gavin Freeman, the true freshman walk-on from Heritage Hall that, you know, has become some somewhat of a really cool story. You know, it was last year, but, you know, I think this is a guy that does have, you know, potential NFL talent despite how small he is. You know, he's probably a low 4-4s runner. I, I think that he's going to have a shot, you know, to end up making a roster. He really understands a very advanced route runner at this point in his career as a second-year guy. Um, of the guys that you are, you are going to see this weekend – Nick Anderson uh, is another young pop. He's had, he's in his second year. Little brother Rodney Anderson, you know, former Oklahoma running back that obviously had some injury issues. He's fully Nick Anderson's fully healthy. Uh, the genetics of his family got to him a little bit over the last year, but yeah, you know, I think this group, offensively specifically at the skill positions, again, is it what we've seen from Oklahoma over the last you know five, six, seven years? No, but you know, I think it's a lot like the conversation at Alabama's receivers right now. Like Alabama doesn't have a receiver that you're sitting there going, okay, that guy looks like Devonta Smith. That guy looks like Jalen Waddle, Henry Ruggs. Like you go through these phases at times where one, like obviously Lincoln Riley and that staff missed on some of our evals at the end of their tenure and, you know, left the cupboard a little, little empty there at receiver um, from some poor recruiting. But I think ultimately this is a receiver group that, is a little underrated in the marketplace. Am I sitting here saying that they're, you know, top receiver unit in the country or even a top, you know, five unit in the Big 12? Probably not. Um, but is it better than I think what people gave them credit for? Yeah. You know, I think that they still with Drake Stoops and you guys will see, it makes no sense how that guy athletically is able to continue to dominate at his position. But he does, man. He's a winning football player and he wins on third down. Like, oh, there was a big third and six against SMU that on a slant where Drake Soups has a very competitive catch. If he doesn't catch that ball, I, I mean, you're sitting there looking down fourth and six, up three against SMU in the fourth quarter, and and you have some serious questions like, is SMU going to win this game or not? And right. so I, I think that this group, you know, running back-wise, I don't know, those the NFL guys are much younger and Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk, which – you guys are probably going to see a little more of them than what the Arkansas State and SMU did at this point. But oh, really? I think it's a skill group that is uh, – and then the one name I didn't mention that didn't play at all, he didn't play a single snap last weekend. He will play this weekend. Like, um, I feel really confident in that. But Jaquez Petaway, um, he looks like an SEC receiver. Like, that's the best way that I can put it. He's 5'10", 5'11". He's going to be a four high 4'3s four guy speed-wise. And he's physically mature beyond his years. Like that guy, once he gets, I think, an opportunity to play, um, he's going to take that position and run with it. Very nice. So those guys, I mean, you talked about several of them just now, um, kind of in the context of like, you know, 
Gavin Freeman, Jaleel Farouk, guys who are going to get the ball on the outside. Is there is there a, one, a specific guy you'd point to as like the deep threat guy? Is there one or two maybe that, that you haven't mentioned or is it also one of those guys as well? You know, I think it would be like Gavin Freeman has ability to stretch the field. Jaquez Petaway has the ability to stretch the field. But really outside of that, you know, they do have a bunch. It's a, it's a lot more like competitive catch guys. A lot of guys that would win at the catch point, they win at the line of scrimmage and getting separation. So, and then obviously you guys got to see this with Montgomery's offense and, you know, offense that comes from the Bryles tree. A lot of the times these guys are schemed open. Um, yeah. And so, um, and even more so than what a Lincoln Riley offense is, you know, the, like there's a lot of predetermined, Hey, this is what you're going to run here. It's going to get open. It probably won't work the rest of the game because it's a one hit, you know, kind of play. Um, but so that's, you know, kind of the basis of it to stretch the defense. Yeah. Petaway Freeman, Nick Anderson, I think has got some speed. Um, but really outside of that, no, those three guys. Nice. All right. It's interesting. Uh, I, I want to ask you about the running game too. And one of the comments you made when you were kind of breaking it down from a high level just now was, you know, you look at OU's, you know, just numbers so far. And it seems like those top three guys are Toei Walker, Marcus Major, Javante Barnes. And you made the comment that like, maybe we'll see these two other guys. I'm, I'm forgetting their names now, maybe more than they've been in against Arkansas state and SMU so far. Um, remind me one, remind me who those two guys were that you were just talking about. And two, uh, why do you think we'll see more of them compared to those three main guys in Walker major and Barnes? Yeah, I, I still think you're still going to see Walker, uh, more extensively than Marcus major at this point, you know, Marcus major does a really good job in the past game, but Oklahoma's in this weird position at the running at running back where, you know, Gavin Sawchuk, who is a true freshman last year, he's been pretty banged up since he's been on campus and so you got to see him in the Florida State game. He was the running back, I think, got 20 carries, went over 100 yards against what we're learning to find out is maybe one of the best teams of college football in Florida State, which they've bulked up that roster. So, But it was still really impressive, especially considering that Oklahoma was with a makeshift offensive line. Yeah, you know, I, I think there's been a little bit to be desired from the running backs at this point. Like, Tommy Walker is obviously, I think, the most consistent guy from them. I think it's hard to run away from like, he's essentially the, you know, great value version of Samaje Pirine. Like that's the best way to put it. Um, yeah. He doesn't have Pirine's top end speed, even though Pirine wasn't really fast. He doesn't have his elusiveness, but man, this guy is a bowling ball and really tough to tackle. And I think he's going to provide, you know, Oklahoma some stability there. And then Marcus Major just has not been very good running in between the tackles. His vision's been pretty poor. He did have those two big catches that went, you know, yards after catch last week, including the touchdown that sealed the game for them. That was a really impressive catch and then after run. So, you know, I think they have one of those, like, it's a good problem to have, but Javante Barnes and Gavin Sawchuk are in their second years. They're both young guys that, you know, haven't had a chance to be coached by DeMarco Murray. Should mention Eric Gray's development from 21 to 22 um, is speaks volumes to how DeMarco Murray is in terms of the coach DeMarco Murray and how he's performing in terms of development of his running back. So I think this group, they have a good problem. Um, but sometimes when you have four running backs, you don't have one. And, you know, I think at this point, they're still trying to figure out what that looks like. And then the other side of it, you know, you mentioned, you know, I think it's a really important you know thing to talk about for this week. Oklahoma did not run the ball well last week and yep. they got pushed around a little bit by SMU's offensive line. And so it would not surprise me at all, specifically with Tulsa's running what is been 
not born in the Big 12, um, but the uh, Tulsa is running a defense that basically 80% of the league is running that you guys got to see Joe Gillespie run at Tulsa um, in this 3-3-5. So would not surprise me at all if Oklahoma makes an emphasis on the running game this week, and we'll see how they perform. Yeah, it'll be interesting. We um, The whole, man, I don't know. The Stopping the run has been... We haven't played anybody who's been really good at the run, really, so far. Like, Washington is not. Uh, they 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 hardly ever handed it off. They really treat, like, the stretch stretch pass game as their run game. And so we haven't really been put to the test in terms of how we stop that. We did switch it up a little bit this year on the coaching staff and everything with Chris Polizzi coming in as DC to more of a 4-2-5. We play that way more often than the 3-3-5. We, we played a lot under Gillespie. But it's still, you know, it, I don't know. It's, we still need to be put to the test in a bigger way in the run game and see how that plays out. So maybe we'll see that against OU, but the way you're talking, it doesn't seem like, OU really relies on the run. Um, it seems like kind of a compliment to the past more, more so. Am I, am I getting that right? Or no, they want to be a good, they, they run the ball. They ran the ball 60% of the time last year. So they're definitely more run oriented. They just did not run the ball well last week. Um, okay. Chapman SMU's defensive tackle, number 40, number six from them, eight, their interior offensive lines lunch, which Again, this happened early in the season last year against Kent State. And so, like, I'm not ruling out and saying Oklahoma's like, these are absolute warning signs, you know, when they play better competition, you know, what that looks like. It's just like they had a clunker of a game. And it wouldn't surprise me at all this week if Oklahoma has an emphasis on establishing the run and getting those guys ready uh, with Cincinnati coming to town or no, going on the road to Cincinnati next week, um, which I believe I did Tulsa play Cincinnati last year. Last year, I don't think so. Did we, Matt? Do you remember what happened in that game? Yeah, you're on mute, but okay, there you go. Davis Brin got sacked like nine times or something like that. Those kind yeah, of yeah. I mean, Eric times. Phillips and I'm, I'll just throw the two names out there. You guys know who they are. Eric Phillips and Dante Corleone is going to be a big problem for Oklahoma if they don't figure something out over the next ten days. Like, I mean, Corleone will absolutely eat their lunch. Yeah, and I also just absolutely love that they've got a dude named Dante Corleone. That is the, just the coolest thing to me. Nicknamed the Godfather, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it has to be. What else would it be? So good. Uh, cool. Okay. Let's flip to the defense a little bit for OU. Um, I know like early in the season, I haven't watched a ton of OU to be honest so far this year. Uh, but I know there was some debate before the season started, maybe into the season, whether they were going to stick with a four, three. Um, I think Venables came in with that. Like he wanted, that's kind of his, his de facto standard or mix in more of the three man front. Like you were talking about there, um, that, that Tulsa is so used to and, and did for so many years and still does a little bit of, um, didn't get to watch, like I mentioned, much of either of the first two games. I, I turned them on for a little bit, but mostly was I was at both of the Tulsa's games, so I mostly was out of pocket there. What's the scheme been like so far for the uh, for OU on the defensive side, and how are you feeling about their their defense? Light years compared to where they were at at this point last year. Um, like I mean, just get to the basics of it. They're lining up. <laughs> They're lining up before the snap starts. There's no one looking at the sideline who looks confused. <laughs> yeah, right. um, Danny Stutzman is not is going to where the ball is going he no longer is looks like he's lost on the football field they're getting run support from their safeties i mean i i mean they you just tear the studs down from where it was last year and completely restart what you were trying to do right like and i think oklahoma's done that um last week against smu they ran more three down than they ran against arkansas state they were primarily four down and i think they were in four down and five five down looks the whole time against Arkansas state. And they were only in three down looks against SMU when SMU was in, you know, 
basically four wide wide receiver uh, group. So right. whatever Tulsa decides to do, if they want to keep a tight end on the field, you're going to see a lot of four down, five down. Um, if they're going to go four wide, you're going to see a lot of three down, um, potentially, you know, more than likely some four down still against those uh, personnel groups. Um, and you have to remember too, like, I don't, I would typically say that this with Cincinnati, if I you would ask me preseason that if this was going to be a look ahead spot for Oklahoma to where they were kind of running their more their base stuff and just a get right kind of game, right? But I do think Cincinnati's win over Pittsburgh does provide of like, okay, they may be a little bit better than what even Oklahoma thought and what I thought at this point. Now, I may be holding a Cincinnati over five wins ticket, so I still thought they were going to be pretty good this year. But I think this typically would not be a look ahead spot for Oklahoma um, because I didn't, people didn't think Cincinnati was going to be very good, but with the way Cincinnati's playing, like I definitely think this does open up an opportunity for them to be in somewhat of a look ahead position to where like if Tulsa does have some success early because Oklahoma hasn't been preparing for them a lot, like wouldn't surprise me at all, specifically Tulsa's offense, which I would imagine at this point, everybody's somewhat watched a little bit of Tulsa to where you're like, okay, that offense has a little bit ways to go um, under Kevin Wilson at this point. And so I would imagine they're going to be pretty basic on Saturday, a lot of four down um, and their defensive line has been pretty good. But again, just based off the question you asked me about like kind of how I'm feeling about that group at this point, light years. I mean, compared to where they were at at this point last year, it is in a much better position. Like, Colin Schley and again, Tez Walker and um, Fred, that's in North Carolina now, the whole story and Kent State, like they had a lot of talent in that offense and Sean Lewis is doing unbelievable jobs with Colorado already offensively, but Kent State went up and down the field on them and <laughs> they only scored three points in that game because Kent State, I think, missed a field goal or two and maybe had a turnover, but I definitely think that Oklahoma's in a, they are light years um, for the Oklahoma fans that listen to this, that I've been pretty pretty negative about the defense over the last, you know, 12 months or so. But at this point, like they're flying to the football, they're getting lined up, right. They're not getting beat on just horrible blitz calls and this and that, or whatever it may be. They're getting pressure on the quarterback. Like there's a lot to be excited about, about this defense. And luckily for them, like there might be only one team on the schedule that can test their secondary in Texas. And so, because they were gifted with an absolute beautiful schedule this year. Yeah. And so right. we'll see, uh, We'll see what ends up happening with them. I would expect them, and like I said, to, I, I, I'm not going to say that this is a look-at spot. I think Venables does a really good job keeping these guys on track week by week. But with Cincinnati and the way that they're playing, I do think Oklahoma could be looking ahead just a little bit, which would lead me to believe that they're going to be pretty basic on Saturday defensively and a lot of four down and, and just kind of line up in their four-two-five and say, Tulsa, if you beat us, you beat us. Now, I don't think yeah. Tulsa is going to win, but I mean, I'm meaning yeah. from like an offensive perspective. Right, right, right. Yeah, totally. And it's it's interesting from from the Tulsa standpoint here. The, the the numbers so far offensively have been pretty lackluster, right? You look at we played Arkansas Pine Bluff in week one. We put up 42 points, uh, but that was, that you know, not a, not a great, you know, nothing against Arkansas Pine Bluff there. Not, not a great opponent. Then we go up against Washington when we put up a grand total of 10 uh, and we got the touchdown at the end of the game. However, uh, and like we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording here, a lot of that has happened without our starting quarterback. He's only played like six snaps, I think, so far, or some not not that few, but pretty pretty few. Maybe it is six. I mean, he got hurt in the second drive of uh, of the first game and has been out ever since. And then Cardell Williams, our backup, um, got hurt in the second quarter of this game against Washington, like halfway through the second quarter. 
So we played the almost the entire Washington game with our third string guy, Roman Fuller, who's hardly ever been on the football field, really under us. He's been with the program for a while, but relatively new uh, to getting out there and seeing what he can do. So we as Tulsa fans don't really know what to expect even from uh, from the offense at its full capacity. Um, there's been a lot of weird things happen, like who we the guy who we thought was going to be the main guy at running back is our third string running back out of nowhere and is sharing snaps with guys who we didn't really think we're going to see the field that much this season. So I think they're still kind of like new staff, a lot of new players still feels like they're feeling things out in one way or the other. Um, hoping everything just clicks, you know, on Saturday against OU and, and maybe we can pick something up. Uh, but th- I think there's still a lot of open questions for the, for the Tulsa offense and especially even more questions. If, if Braylon Braxton, our, our starting quarterback is out again this week and even, and there's a chance we're going to be playing our third string guy all game on Saturday. If, if the injury to our backup Cardell Williams, uh, is still, you know, bothering him. So we'll see what happens, but there's a lot of, a lot of things to figure out before, before Saturday. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I, I think this is a, a situation you guys are going to see from Oklahoma's defense. They're much more physical. They're they play way faster. They bring in a couple transfers, Reggie Pearson specifically at safety twenty one. You're going to notice him quite a bit. He's around the football a lot. They're they are in a they are in a much better space right now, and I think they're going to end the year in a much better position um, than they were last year. I, I don't think they're going to end up with the uh, uh, defense SP plus wise that's in the seventies. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, so you mentioned uh, just a couple of the names to watch out for for Tulsa fans on the defensive side of the ball. You mentioned Stutzman already. Um, you mentioned safety number 21. What is his name and anybody else who uh, who we should be watching out for? Yeah, I think along the defensive line uh, this week, you're going to see a lot of if our Mason Thomas is healthy as an edge rusher in terms of a guy that can get pressure on the quarterback. You're going to notice him quite a bit. Um, their defensive line solid like they the the NFL guys are all young for the most part. Um, you'll notice, you know, Danny Stutzman, 28, you'll notice Kip Lewis, a linebacker, number 10, Jaron Kanick, number seven. Like those guys are really athletic at that linebacker position. Um, you probably won't notice Woody Washington cause no one's throwing his way, but he's number five. He's a corner. He's probably their best player on their defense that no one talks about because like yeah. people just don't throw his direction. It's one of those things. And then, um, yeah, you know, we'll see if Justin Harrington and Desan McCullough, they're two really big athletic nickel players. Um, We'll see if they play this week or not. Um, I know they're both been banged up. And then, you know, I think the last guy to really highlight in terms of like the starters and starting snaps in this game, Paid Bowen, the true freshman, number 22, five-star recruit. Oklahoma's had a lot of five-stars that have come through defensively a lot. That's like three or four over the last, you know, six, seven years. Um, this guy does not look like the guys that were five stars previously. Let me just yeah. say that. Like this guy looks like he's going to be a dude. Like dude, 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 dude. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I, I think Oklahoma has got a lot more defensively. They they've got a lot more, uh, entertainment value, I guess is the best way to put it than they were at again at this point last year. How many of those guys, I mean, what, maybe you've touched on this a little bit already, but just for my, just for my own sanity here, how many of those guys are guys that were in the program last year that have just taken a huge step up versus transferred in? How, how did the, how did the defense take such a big leap? in one season one i think that they've let's just talk from the staff perspective i think they did a really good job this offseason again two games we we have a lot of data to have for the rest of the year but i think they did a really good job of saying okay this is what we are really good at this is what we were not really good at 
And they really focus on the things they're really good at. I'm not to like simplify this thing down to like dumb it down, but like, I, I really think it's as easy as that. And it also helps when you get a guy that transfers in, they, and, and they were one of the worst teams against the run last year in the big 12, one of the like bottom 75, um, bottom 25 in college football efficiency wise, I think against the run specifically out of their three down look. And when you play a three down look, as you guys know, you guys know a lot better than Oklahoma people do. When you play three down, your linebackers and your safeties have to be really good against the run. And they did not have linebackers and safeties that were really good against the run last year. Now they do. They Reggie Pearson, the transfer of Texas Tech, is more of a run defender out of the safety position than he is. You feel a lot better than him than against the pass. Danny Stutzman is in a much better place mentally. Yeah. He's in the right place at the right time. And he just was not at this point last year. I really don't think he took football all that seriously. And I hate to kind of say it like that, but I think it's kind of true. And he would say that. And I think he would tell you that. And then there, I mean, I, I think their defensive lines just, I, uh, it's about what it was last year, maybe just a little bit better. Um, but it's really noticeable. It's like, okay, oh, the defensive line's playing good now. Like, no, you've got better linebackers and you have better safety play. Like when you're defending the run, that stuff is way more important than what people give it credit for. And I think that that is the biggest thing for them. They've been really good against the run. Kent State's not running all over them. SMU's not running all over them. And I think when you look at SMU's offensive line, a lot of people are really excited about that group. They're really excited about LJ Johnson, Jalen Knighton. And Oklahoma just bottled those guys up all night. Um, the defensive line made it really tough to create any creases. Danny Stutzman had like 17 and a half tackles last week, two and a half tackles for loss and a sack. Damn. Like, I, you know, I, I think it's just one of those things where like, not to get in the full like traditional, you know, put my, you know, hard hat on by any means, but in football you got to stop the run to stop the pass. And Oklahoma's doing a lot better stopping the run right now. So we talked about a bunch of the kind of the big name guys and some of the under the radar guys, but is there a favorite kind of under the radar guy that you just like watching on OU that we haven't really talked about that much yet that maybe makes a splash, maybe doesn't, but we're just one of your favorite guys to watch out for. Oh, I mean, I mentioned this, like you're not going to notice them because the balls aren't going to go his direction um, okay. very often, but I love watching Woody Washington play football um, as technically sound as a corner as you're going to find in the country. Instincts are crazy. Um, when this guy's playing in zone coverage, he does, he doesn't get beat. He's doing exactly what he's asked to do. You know, not a guy that you will get to see um, from the defensive line or linebacker or safety position. Hmm. Cause like a lot of the guys are known, like Ethan Downs is, is an Oklahoma kid. He's pretty well known at this point. Trace Ford transfer from Oklahoma state. He's pretty well known at this point. Um, I mentioned him earlier and just like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge here for anybody listening. Like our Mason Thomas is going to be a freak off the edge. And he's gotten a little bit of run the last couple of years. He's been banged up. He got back on the field last week. The Oklahoma's got a long line of edge rushers when you go back to Jeremy Beal, to Obo Okoronkwo, who got a mega deal with the Cleveland Browns last year. Uh, Nick Benito last the uh, last you know three or four years. Or Mason Thomas is right in that same line. This guy is going to be a monster off the edge. And so you may see him get some more snaps this week, but they have some depth. You're going to see a true freshman this week, guys. Um, P.J. Adebawore, number 34. He's a five, He was a five-star defensive end. I, he's going to be noticeable. He's the biggest guy on the field. It's incredible. Um, I mean, Kansas City native, I tweeted this out whenever he was on the field in the first game. Like, he's bigger than everyone on their defense. And nice. he's bigger than everybody on their offense. 
Like he he's 18 years old and he looks like he was made in the lab. Um, you're going to notice him. He's going to get some run this week, but like, is he going to be a guy for Oklahoma? That's just going to be a steadfast starter the rest of the year. No, like he's got, a, he's got a long way to go. It doesn't look like he's played football that much. He's one, it's one of those yeah. things. Like he's right. a little bit of a project, but when you guys, when Tulsa fans do see him on the field, you're gonna be like, where the hell did they get this guy from? <laughs> um, he is bigger than everybody. He's longer than everybody. It's, it's pretty crazy. Yep. Very nice. We'll keep an eye out for him for sure. Um, okay. Let's talk some coaching staff, uh, before we start winding this thing down. Uh, but I coaching staff got to, you know, obviously there's, there's one main story when you're, when you're thinking of the OU coaching staff right now. So I got to ask you about it. Um, Jeff Levy, the OC, uh, we talked, I don't remember if we were talking about him. I think so. We, we talked about him a bit already while we were recording here, but at least before we started, uh, very talented guy knows what he's doing. Um, at least on the football field, but then the, uh, the whole thing going on here is, he had our brows on the sideline after the game. A lot of drama came up from that. Uh, what's your, honestly, I haven't followed the details of it. I've just been kind of seeing people's random takes on Twitter every now and then. Um, where do you, where, what's the, what's the general vibe in the program right now? Where do you stand on all this stuff? Um, I, I assume he's going to remain the OC, but I don't know. So what's, what's the latest on that whole story? I think you just have to really start at the beginning of it. You know, obviously, our Bryles was around the facilities uh, in pregame. Was obviously on the field postgame with Jeff Levy. So Jeff Levy's wife is Art Bryles' daughter. Mm -hmm. And obviously, Jeff Levy was the OC at the time at Baylor, you know, was selling the CAB shirts, you know, before games. Like, he was pretty, obviously, with his wife being Art Bryles' daughter, like, he's pretty entrenched in the whole situation you know, I like part of me feels really bad for the position that Jeff Levy is in and even the position that Oklahoma has put him in where it's like, you know, you have this predetermined agreement, handshake agreement. It's not contractual to where, you know, our Bryles isn't allowed around team operations at all um, mm -hmm. in any capacity. And those were agreed upon terms verbally wasn't contractually, you know, before he came, but you know, he, he is the grandfather of his two kids and his wife is our Bryles you know, daughter. And, you know, I think so for like Jeff Levy's situation, you know, I'm of the, I'm of the opinion that our Bryles lack of self-awareness, because like, this isn't the first time that we've seen this play out with art where he's in a place where he's not supposed to be he's not really thinking through like what the whole situation is going to look like. And, you know, just kind of walk around doing his thing. And so, you know, I think obviously at Jeff Levy's again, it, I, I think it'd be pretty difficult. I'm not married. I don't have any kids. I want to say all that before I say what I say, like, I think it'd be pretty tough from his position to basically be like, no, your, your dad's not allowed yeah. to come to these games. You know, like yeah. he's not, you know, that that would be pretty tough. So where I come from is that when Jeff Levy was initially hired, I was like, just, I would not, I would avoid, I would have, I would have avoided this situation completely. Like there were so many options out there at that time as an offensive coordinator, just completely avoid the PR, completely avoid all of it. Like I'm out on it. Um, you get away from that stuff. I think Jeff Levy's been fine. Like the fan overreaction, he's just not Lincoln Riley, you know, like that. I think that's just the situation they're in. And I think <laughs> TCU fans are somewhat going through that right now to where like, Kendall Bryles, Art's son, um, is TCU's OC. It just looks different than what a Riley offense looks like, which Garrett Riley was the offensive coordinator, Lincoln's brother at yeah. TCU last year. So, 
yeah, you know, I think Art Broyles is around. He gets a, you know, sideline pass for pregame, a family pass. He's on the field. He gets a picture posted, you know. So, like, it's one of those things to where, like, from Jeff Levy's perspective, you've got to be a little bit more self-aware of what that's going to look like whenever people, you know, obviously are going to post it on social. Like, if you expected people not to talk about it, (laughs) like, that just shows a lack of self-awareness. I Again, I would say where the blame is here in this is more on art Bryles himself from yep. thinking that this wasn't going to be a story if he was on the field and OU apparel. Um, but I mean, you guys have more, I, I've said you guys, you guys truly do have more experience with this more than I, I do um, considering like three Baylor staff members came directly to Tulsa, like <laughs> yeah. very recently after the whole thing went down. So you know, I just I, I think Jeff was stuck between a rock and a hard place with his wife and family, dy- you know, dynamics. And Art Bryles ends up on the field post game. It gets pictured. It's a big deal. Did he handle it completely? Okay? Could he handle it better a little bit post game? Probably. Do is he stuck between a rock and a hard place considering he married into the family? Yeah, like I yeah. I think it's pretty tough. So, you know. We'll see. I, I I have more blame on the situation on his wife and and or Broyles himself. But again, how do you how do you sit there and tell your family that this stuff can't happen and that can't? I I don't know. Um, it's not contractual. Again, there's nothing in writing that it can't happen. Um, so we'll see. But you know, obviously, Jokic Leone made a statement Saturday night after that game. So for Jokic Leone to make a statement Saturday night <laughs> after a win. I uh, should tell you how mad he is about how everything went down over the last, you know, 72 to 96 hours. Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing that surprised me after the fact was he, he like leaned into it a little bit and, and changed his whatever picture, Instagram or something to, to that photo. And we'll say, I, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not totally sure he's the one who did that. So. Okay. Okay. Interesting. All right. So we'll stay away from that then. But yeah, the, uh, you made the comment of like Phil Montgomery and that whole deal, right. When he was here, obviously comes from the, comes from the system, knows him well, all of that. How re- how quickly was that? I forget. How quickly did he end up in Tulsa? Man, when did the, when did all that drama go down? So, oh, uh, Montgomery was OU hired in 2014. Played, OU played in 2015. Oh, you played in Waco when the CAB flags were flying from the suites at that game. So I think Mon- when was Montgomery hired at Tulsa? 14. Yeah. So it would have been like 2012, 2013 when that stuff started really popping up. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, so he, yeah. Yeah. He got hired literally as the stuff was like making mainstream media. Right. And then they brought over some other staffers though after it all went yep. down. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't remember ever. And this is, this is the thing about, being you know being a Tulsa fan and not an OU fan there there are way fewer big time media blowups um that like everyone latches on to right and so I don't remember maybe you do Matt uh do you remember Art was Art Browse ever on like the Tulsa sideline did that ever was that ever a thing I remember Philip Montgomery like talked to like talked about him to the media especially when he was hired and when the, all this stuff was going down around him and Montgomery straight up said like I love the guy I've got nothing no hard feelings against him you know I, I still talk to him regularly um, but I don't remember ever seeing him him specifically uh, on the sideline or anything like that but he very well may have and no one noticed uh, which is not something that happens at an OU game so who knows no I I mean I would also imagine too like if he had been around during like immediately after the fact like it probably would have been pretty big news I mean yeah but again like that whole thing 
it's just so avoidable and it's a distraction. And, you know, I, I would just say like Jeff Levy making a prepared statement before the press conference yesterday. I mean, yeah, he got, he got told what the company line is moving and what's the expectations moving forward. I I think it's pretty obvious at this point that uh, some pretty high power people at Oklahoma were not very happy about how that situation unfolded. And like, I, I think, you know, the common sense is like he was given an OU shirt from Levy and his wife and like it's not like OU was sponsoring him or like he was parading around the facilities or he's been involved in meetings or like consulting. Like I just I I think for them to and to wrap this up, like I think for them to not grasp how that's gonna look to the non-Oklahoma centric people. Yeah. I, I think for them to not grasp that, including Levy, just as just a lack of of self-awareness supposedly levy was mad about the whole thing and the way it unfolded and was very but his post-game comments don't tell that story so like i don't know what to believe at this point so yeah anyways we'll see like it i mean he better perform the rest of the year i mean i'll just say that yeah for sure all right let's move on from that one but appreciate it that's that's good good info um more on more on Brent Venables real quick, you know, second year, right, with the program. Um, how how are OU fans feeling about him? Just temperature check in general. Uh, now that we're now that we've seen at least one full season and going into a second. I I had Oklahoma around nine and three, ten and two in the to start the year, and also in the Big Twelve title game against Texas. Now that wasn't that wasn't from like a this is what I see thing. It's like this is the numbers are sitting here flashing in my eyes at Oklahoma is going to be much better this year than what they were previously. And so up to this point, they've reached, they've matched those expectations. Well, I will say you, you mentioned SC plus you go through almost every metric right now. Like Oklahoma's like a top 10 team in the country. Yeah. And I don't know if they're that. <laughs> I think that they have a chance. I don't know if they are that. So like, I would just say just regarding the question, they have, checked off the boxes they're supposed to check off at this point they've had against arkansas state had some drops smu had a couple missed throws like they still have some correctable things on tape that they have to fix the offensive line performed really poorly last week and so i think they i think it but like if Oklahoma was just blowing the doors off these guys and you have you can't really learn anything from it yeah i would think i would feel more like these numbers are definitely inflated but like oklahoma hasn't played specifically last week offensively like Oklahoma hasn't played all that well and the like Arkansas State they didn't play great defensively they gave up zero points but like when you're trying to opponent adjust that for Arkansas State you know like I I I don't know like they they have obviously from a metrics perspective outperformed expectations up to this point will we see those numbers regress a little bit over the coming weeks and specifically after the Texas week maybe but I obviously have some opinions on the way that Texas Alabama game unfolded too. So um, we'll see, you know, I, I think Oklahoma is going to make the big 12 title game. I thought that preseason it's more about the big 12 than Oklahoma this year, which is you follow me. That's the exact opposite of how I felt last year. I thought the big 12 was really good last year. Yeah. And we're starting to find out the big 12 got a little depleted talent wise with all the guys. I mean, they had the most players drafting the NFL since like 2010. Um, the big 12 did as a conference. TCU had like seven guys get picked last year. Um yeah. Right. So, you know, I think Oklahoma's in a position where they have the right schedule. 
They're performing at a level that if they keep trending this direction, they got a chance to reach the goals that they want to have. And uh, Oklahoma, Texas should be a, an absolute slugfest in Dallas here in three weeks. Yeah, very nice. All right, one more on the coaching staff um, and kind of how that relates to Tulsa a little bit. And then we'll we'll wrap up with listener questions and call it, a, call it an interview. But one more on the staff. Um, tying it back to Kevin Wilson here. Wilson and Venables know each other pretty well. Shared nine years at OU. Um, I think it was nine. Venables was there from 99 to 2011. Wilson was there as OC from 2002 to 2010. Um, and I've heard, you know, I've heard Kevin Wilson make some comments about how much respect he has for the staff and for Venables. And he loved his time at OU and everything. I don't know. And maybe you don't either. Um, really a shot in the dark here. I don't know much about their personal relationship, like Kevin Wilson and Brent Venables. Have you heard them or Brent make any comments about Wilson and, or how they, how well they know each other? Or do they still keep in touch or anything like that? Or what do you think? No, not, not really. Like I would imagine it's one of those like OC, like, when he was in Norman, Bob was the CEO and Brent was running the defense and Kevin Wilson was running, you know, the offense. So like, yeah. Did they have some cool stories today from their press conferences? Yeah, absolutely. Like Brent basically mentioning, like, I can't even like, they're asking some Kevin Wilson stories and he's like, like, is this PG 13 or, you know, like, yeah, you know, I think that there's, there's probably some good stories and relationships that have been built there and they obviously know each other really well. I'm sure their families mingled you know, but I do think like at that time, it's a lot different, you know, like, you know, for me, like I with was with like Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch where Lincoln Riley was the CEO and the offensive coordinator. So like, he's probably a lot closer with Alex Grinch than what Brent Venables, who was the DC with Bob Stoops of the CEO who also had an OC, yep. you know, like, I think that there's just, it's a little, it was a little bit different dynamic in Oklahoma at the time, but I do think there's a, obviously an immense amount of respect for each other. I mean, I can't imagine, I mean, that's, like this has been an, an incredible 20. I mean, I was born in 96. Oklahoma has been bad, you know, for basically five years. And so it's been an incredible run. I bet those practices were absolutely awesome to be at just watching NFL guys slug it out every single day. Um, but no, nothing in terms of like what I know personally about, you know, those relationships and, you know, I, again, but, and I would just say, like, I think the dynamic of Oklahoma staff at that time was a little bit different than even how staffs are built today. Cause so like, like Philip Montgomery and Joe Gillespie are probably really close because Joe, Phil Montgomery was the head coach and the OC I'm in quotations for people, you know? Um, so it's, um, I think the dynamics were just a little bit different at that time. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably right. I did hear in, um, in Kevin Wilson's radio show today or yesterday that uh, he talking about, you know, his time at OU with Brent Venables and they would go, you know, obviously going against each other every day in practice. And that defense was so good back then when he was there and that like the offense was good too, but they would really struggle to move the ball ever against that D and very frequently they would go all practice without getting traditionally you'd want to get to the 15 yard line and run some like red zone plays, uh, but they would never get there like the whole practice long. So they I just mean, have you to had yeah. in, in early two thousands, you had that Tommy Harris group where, you know, he's the best defensive lineman in college football at the time um, or damn near the top of it. Then you have, yeah, I think Kevin Wilson mentioned day, like dusty Dvorak and yeah. Um, you know, Teddy Lehman was on the defense, Rocky Kalmus. And then you get into the little bit like middle two thousands and you have Kevin Wilson left in 2010, 2009 yes. to be the uh, 10 
So like you had an early year, like Gerald McCoy. I mean, like you're just going through the list. Like every year that Kevin Wilson in practice was going up against Brent, like they had three or four NFL defensive linemen. Right. So like, yeah, it's pretty, um, it's pretty nuts, man. When you go back and think like the other part of it, while we're just sitting here podcasting and like discussion, like the other part of it is just thinking about Oklahoma's defense at that time. And then thinking about what we've seen over the last 10 years. Like I, 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 you know, obviously whenever I started paying closer attention to Oklahoma football was like probably like 2000 when Sam Bradford was quarterback, like 2007 mm. and like their defense was good. Wasn't what wasn't what it was in the early 2000s. So like, I can't even imagine what Kevin Wilson, you know, what he saw at Oklahoma and then what he saw at Oklahoma from like 2012 to 2022 right. just had to be the most mind numbing thing to him <laughs> um, because they've been just so average defensively for basically a decade at this point. Yeah, that's a great point. I'm sure it is. That's awesome. Cool. Okay. Uh, let's knock. I know we've been going pretty long here. Let's knock out a couple of listener questions and we'll call it a show. Um, first one comes from Twitter at the Palmski Palmer Watkins. He is asking about Dylan Gabriel. We talked about him a little bit already. Um, he's played some of his worst games of his career against Tulsa. If Dylan Gabriel starts off, starts off slow in this game, how early do we see Jackson Arnold come in? And I love the part two of this question here. Do you think that Dylan Gabriel is going to be the starting quarterback come the end of the year for the Sooners? Oh, they're going to roll with Dylan as long as, I mean, as long as he's healthy. Um, I think, I I still think Dylan Gabriel will be the quarterback in game 12, unless he gets hurt. Uh, I mean, unless something just falls off the cliff here, like he's going to be the starting quarterback. I mean, we have seen, I should mention, he didn't play in OU Texas last year. It's his first time in the Cotton Bowl. Anybody can say whatever he wants. Anybody that's listening to this, I know you guys are a lot of Oklahomans here. And then obviously some out-of-state Tulsa people. If you haven't been to OU Texas, you have to go. Everybody says it. It's a different environment. And we've seen quarterback changes happen uh, with Spitzer Rattler twice um, down there at the Cotton Bowl. So, like, sure, could something happen and Dylan Gabriel, but he's going to be starting quarterback. I I don't anticipate him starting slow. Like, I, I, I'm – I think that's more about Tulsa at this point. Like I, I jokingly said this earlier, but it, it's definitely true. Like Joe Gillespie's defense at that time were really good. Um, yeah. There were people studying Tulsa's defense because it was so good. Um, there were people studying it um, from like coaches' perspectives, right? And so, you know, he's not walking through that door this weekend. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I would imagine Oklahoma is going to be probably just fine. You know, the one thing, this like bigger picture regarding that question. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma's can probably establish the run on Saturday because they ran it so poorly against SMU. So, you know, I do think that that if the margin is a little bit smaller for Dylan, like, and you know, he's only thrown eight passes in the first three drives of the game or first two and a half drives, you know, I think at that point where you're like, eh, this guy might not be very good. And then just remember, like, Oklahoma's trying to run the ball this week as much yeah. as they possibly can to get that right before they go on the road to Cincinnati. Makes a lot of sense. Cool. Okay. Last one. Uh, last listener question from at Johnny Cashflows. Like the Twitter name. Uh, curious to hear where TU can create the best mismatch on offense. Felt like SMU really carved up a lot of the middle yardage on the OU defense last week. I know you mentioned you haven't watched that much Tulsa this year, Keegan, but if there was to be a mismatch to be found for the TU's offense, where do you think that'd be? If Texas is watching SMU, Oklahoma and SMU offense against Oklahoma defense, they're going to be licking their chops because they have four future NFL players at receiver and tight end and a quarterback that can really stretch them vertically in Oklahoma left their safeties and some man coverage in the back end. And so, you know, I, I do think that is a, 
when we get to OU Texas week and I'm breaking that thing down, like that's going to be, I may just show the Texas Alabama clips right with SMU's offense, you know, missing some throws. So, you know, I think Oklahoma is going to leave their guys back into their coverage and some one-on-one opportunities. And so if Tulsa does have a quarterback receiver duo that can attack that they can. Um, yeah. Like, and Oklahoma is going to be aggressive blitz wise. Like that's what Venables is known for. He's blitzed more than I think any defensive coordinator in the country since he was the DC at Clemson. And, and so like if throwing into those blitzes, there's going to be some room to throw. Uh, they do a pretty good job baiting quarterbacks into making some board decisions to where, you know, you're kind of baiting him blitzing a guy and then you have a DB or linebacker replacing where that blitz is coming from. But for the most part, like, I think from what we've seen at this point, if Tulsa has a quarterback receiver duo, specifically slot receiver that can stretch the field and a quarterback that can find them. Yeah. I think there's some opportunity to attack downfield, but I don't think there's many teams on Oklahoma schedule that have the quarterback nor receiver uh, to do that at this point. So Luckily for them, like I, I think they're going to be uh, all right with that. Yep, good to know. I think there is like we've been throwing a lot more. I'm interested to see how this goes in this game. Um, we've been throwing a lot more to the tight end this year. We we hardly ever threw to them. Uh, any tight ends under Phil Montgomery, they seemed kind of averse to that. Uh, we've got a young kid, um, Luke McGarry, a freshman this season, who's really playing well. He's already got a touchdown on the year. Um, get he's he pretty much beat out the long, like three year starter at tight end that's still here this season, and Ethan Hall. Uh, at least in the passing game. So maybe there's something there because um, we do we do look to him a lot in the passing game, at least we have so far. So we'll see. But uh, he's not necessarily the guy who's going to score you down the field. So I don't know. In, in terms of that guy, there's a few that are around, but they've been a little inconsistent so far. So we will see what happens. All right. Uh, before we close it out, let me get your thoughts on the game in general, how you think it's going to go. I was looking at the uh, Winsipedia. You know, Tulsa hasn't been OU since 1996. And that was actually in Norman, which surprised me. I didn't remember that. TU hasn't won the game in Tulsa. Oklahoma football didn't exist in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Hey, or, hey, or, or I've been, don't that's justify what it. I've been told. That's what I've been told. Yeah. I don't, I don't want you to justify it for me. I just want to take the win. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear that OU was bad. TU, it was OU's best year. TU still got him. No problem. TU hasn't won the game in Tulsa. This is a wild one. In Tulsa since 1942. <laughs> Quite a long time since we pulled that one off. And again, uh, so Oklahoma football the, uh, started after World War II. Yes, there, there we go. The '90s didn't exist, and nothing before <laughs> World War II uh, exists either, or so I've been told. Yes, yes, makes sense to me. Um, I did see that OU opened as a 23-point favorite. It's gotten even bigger since then. It now sits at 28 points. So here we go. What do you think the score is going to be? Large, broader question: Do you think OU covers that spread? In terms of game flow, I, I've kind of hinted at where my head's at heading into this week. I think Oklahoma is going to really try to establish the run on Saturday early. I think it's going to be a pretty big emphasis, and so I do think that could lead to, that could tend to lead to a lower scoring game. But you have to remember, Oklahoma is one of the fastest tempo teams in the country, right? And I don't know necessarily how that's going to end up. That like is a weird dynamic of a lot of run, which means with these clock rules. Um, on first downs, like the clock's going to keep running. So like in terms of game flow, I would imagine it could be a little clunky early for Oklahoma as they try to establish the run. And I would imagine Tulsa is going to look at the SMU game and be like, all right, we just commit seven to eight guys to stopping the run. We're going to have a pretty good shot at uh, stopping it. And so I would imagine Oklahoma is going to come out and try to establish some stuff early and get ready for Cincinnati next week. 
And so that could lead to a little bit of lower scoring, maybe first half um, and low possessions than what we've seen. Then defensively from Oklahoma, a lot like what I've said earlier, it's going to be a lot of uh, probably a lot of based off get right game for them defensively off of two really good performances for them. And so Tulsa is going to have some chances, you know, if they've got some, you know, shot plays or really schemed up plays from Kevin Wilson, I think they're gonna have some chances to, you know, early on take advantage of Oklahoma, not necessarily looking ahead. Um, I hate to, I would hate to say that again, I think Brent Venables is a good job keeping these guys week to week, but I do think they'll probably be pretty basic defensively. I think they're going to continue to be very aggressive defensively too, with that in terms of blitzes and everything that comes with it. And yeah, I mean, I haven't thought too much of a score. I haven't studied Tulsa at all. I haven't even looked at any like projections for this game, just to be quite frank. But, you know, something in like the 48-17 range makes a lot of sense to me, 48-20. Um, but I, again, it wouldn't surprise me at all that if it's even a little bit lower scoring, like 41, you know, 17, like that, that wouldn't, um, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, I will say like, it is pretty glaring like it i will say you mentioned it it is very notable that um some very sharp betters out there um i don't know any of them and i talk to a lot of these handicappers and gamblers that are out there that are market movers that line went up quick um yeah. from i think it opened at 24 and a half at circo on sunday it's at 27 and a half 28 right now that's a lot of points for a team that's going to try to establish a run on Saturday. So, you know, I lean to uh, not touch this game. And uh, if you do have an opinion in terms of the betting sense here, there's other options out there on the board. Like stay away <laughs> from what's happening in Tulsa this weekend. Um, unless you think Oklahoma is going to offensively take out some aggression from what happened against SMU on Saturday. Yeah. Tulsa's offensive line played really well against Washington last week, hoping for more of that. Cause that looked really good. That was probably the brightest spot of the game. Um, so if we can pick up the blitzes you got, you're talking about, I know Venables all the time it's coming. Uh, if we can stymie that in any way. And then, you know, you mentioned that Philip Montgomery loved to run kind of the one-off plays that are only going to hit once a game. You know, they're only going to work maybe once. And if you hit them, you That's hit them. It's the freaking Bryles offenses, man. It's interesting though, because Kevin Wilson was Talking about some of he not we don't do it as much as the Montgomery era. But, uh, well, we're two games in. We'll see. We've we've done it a few times already. Um, he's got some plays like that, or it's kind of just a one off. You you hit it or you miss it, and if you miss it, it's never happening again all game. So we are running some things like that, trying to get them. They didn't work against Washington, uh, but maybe we'll maybe we'll hit some against OU if that's the case. Maybe we keep it close. The stat I hit um, the Washington guys we were talking to with uh, we were talking with last week uh, was TU. In, against power five opponents against the spread like ranked teams is 11 and one all time and then we want we covered against washington moved to 12 and one so the streak continues i'm feeling pretty good about cover like 28 it moved up a lot i wonder if that's because of the quarterback situation there's there's still a lot of uncertainty of is is it going to be that could, that could that could be part of it for that large of a move that is a sharp play by somebody out there i mean again nobody <laughs> yeah. I know, and I talked to some of the market guys that move some stuff. I none of them have talked. They're they're hoping Cincinnati plays well again this weekend, and then to hop on the Oklahoma train next week. Um, but I have not heard anybody that I talked to in my neck of the woods in my network that uh, is on Oklahoma this weekend. So, but that is a either a sharp that knows an injury situation like you just mentioned, or they thought this number was way too low. Um, yeah. 
So we'll see. I mean, like I said, like in terms of like covering, I, I think Oklahoma, the game, I think they're going to try to establish a run. And like that leads to a lower total and lower total high spread. Like that always tends to lean to the underdog, right. To cover. So um, we'll see. Yep. We'll see. I've got it similar to what you said, you know, got to throw my Tulsa bias in there and bump it up a little bit, but I've got 35, 17, maybe as where we come in around there, Matt, how are you feeling? Yeah, pretty similar. Uh, Tossed a couple more points. Oklahoma's way 38, 17 is kind of, but I don't know. I was confident last week and then we went down to our third string. So Wilson kind of talked today. He doesn't really know who's going to start. You know, how much of that is mind games, how much of that is we're dealing with multiple injuries across. So yeah, I don't know. 38, 17, we cover. It's going to be a low scoring and I definitely take the under. He's from Kevin Wolf is from the Bob Soup's coach of uh, not saying anything about injuries leading up <laughs> to the game. So, I mean, you guys remember, you guys probably don't because I was covering the team um, intensively at the time, but I think it was 2019 uh, Lincoln Riley basically almost uh, ruled out two offensive linemen for the Texas game. And then they both started and played every oh, snap. So nice. like, yeah. So yeah, I mean the Bob Stoops guys uh, do a really good job hiding that stuff. Yep. Pretty good. All right. Well, let's call it. Let's call it an interview there. Keegan, really appreciate you coming to the show. Really excited for the game on Saturday. Uh, Matt and I will be there. Any chance you'll be there? I will not, but I will be in Tulsa. I will say if this was a weekend for people to get married, congratulations. This is a bad slate of college football. So I, uh, <laughs> I have a uh, wedding in Tulsa. I've got to be at. Ah, very nice. Very nice. Well, enjoy the wedding. Look forward to a good one on Saturday, I hope, and really appreciate you again. Um, if you want to, uh, call out where people can find you, RPM data, all that stuff, whatever you want to whatever you want to shout out here at the end. Yeah, Twitter, at Keegan Renault, K-E-G-A-N-R-E-N-E-A-U. And if you're in Tulsa, I'm on the uh, Oklahoma Post Game Show. Again, wedding this week. Uh, it won't be as, lo- as long, but if you do enjoy, want to tune in after a game, um, we're on hour and a half after the game ends. Uh, breaking the whole breaking everything down on the uh, franchise Oklahoma post game show. Uh, you can hear me throughout the week on the franchise. I'm a contributor on three different shows. So um, yeah, you can follow me at Keegan Renault, K E G A N R E N E A U definitely more betting uh, film analysis related there. And then obviously, yeah, with RPM data, it's at RPM data. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on, especially for a whole hour and a half or however long we've been going to really appreciate the time. That's a long time, but thanks for sticking with us. And I really enjoyed it, man. Really appreciate you. Okay. Thanks again to Keegan Renault for joining the show. Been looking forward to talking with him for a long time. I've seen his name around Twitter for so long now, really since we started the show. And I know um, really the, the reason he, I really picked up on him was because several years back, Fear the Wave had him on because Tulane was playing OU. Like, I don't know, probably four years ago. Uh, I was like, why this guy? I, like, I didn't even know who he was. He wasn't a guy from the Tulsa world, you know? And so those were most of the people that I knew covering OU at the time. Um, but it was like, no, it was this Keegan guy. And he had a bunch of followers already on Twitter, was doing some fun stuff. Uh, and so I started, that's when I started following him all those years back. And uh, ever since then, just been following his stuff. He does awesome stuff on Twitter. Obviously, he's doing really cool stuff with RPM data. Um, yeah, really enjoyed the interview. What did you think, Matt? Any any big takeaways or, or stuff we didn't talk about during that show or during that interview that um, you wanted to get to about Oklahoma or what, anything like that? No, I mean, I th- I think we ran the full gamut in terms of like Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. There's some stuff that we talked about, you know, when the recording ended about SMU. That was interesting. Um, unfortunately, I feel like, you know, 
SMU is the focus later and, you know, not enough, just not enough time to talk about that. But no, it was, it was awesome. Uh, clearly, you know, I, you know, talked maybe more in this interview than I have in any of the previous interviews this <laughs> so far this season. Um, no, I, I am, I am concerned about not concerned concerns makes it feel like I'm like, I didn't think we were going to win. So, um, and this kind of just, I think solidifies that. Um, <laughs> it sounds like OU's got a little bit. I think he gave Dylan Gabriel a little too much credit. Um, I think he doesn't buy into the superstitious side of it enough. Right. Uh, Cause that's, <laughs> that's what is going to keep Tulsa fans going. That's True. that is our aim for this game. I mean, it, it absolutely is. And like, I feel like part of that's real. I don't know. Like he played, he's played so bad against TU and really not that bad in the rest of his UCF career. I know UCF fans aren't like huge, like super fans of him, but they're, they all recognize that he's a really talented player. He didn't do poorly for them or anything even close to that. Uh, that's why he ended up now, you know, you don't end up as the quarterback at OU if you're not awesome at your previous school. Uh, so I think it's real. I think it's real. And he's playing back in TU stadium. He knows the area. He knows he's done poorly here in the past. He's coming in with some big guns around him now, you know, coming from OU. Uh, but I think there's still, I think there's still going to be hopefully something there that we can latch on to and, and we'll see. Um, who knows? Maybe he'll, maybe this is his revenge game and he'll, he'll tear us up. But honestly, I don't know. I kind of feel more like it's, he's going to struggle in this one. So we'll see just to, just to go over the score predictions again, Keegan, was around 42 or 49 to 17. Um, I said 35 to 17. You said 38 to 17, Matt. So we're all kind of in the 17 area for, for the number of points to use going to score, um, which I think is reasonable. You know, I we put up that numbers against uh, OU's defense is better than Washington's defense. We put up 10 points on Washington's defense. So we can get to 17 against OU, especially if it's with Cardell or Roman Fuller and, you know, not the starter and Braylon Braxton. Come out of there healthy. I'm feeling pretty good, you know, and if we give it, if we really, you know, give it everything we've got, try to win this game, get it done. That, that, that'd be cool with me, but not expecting a win, but I do think it's going to be a fun one. All right. Um, last thing before we wrap this thing up, want to take a quick look around the conference. I'm going to change this up a little bit. I'm instead of doing every game, cause that's kind of boring, at least for me and annoying. Um, I'm going to instead do the biggest win of the week, the worst loss of the week, and some kind of crazy uh, WTF results of the week. Um, start off with the record for the week, and that is five and nine for the American. Bad week. <laughs> Bad week for the conference. There are a lot of big games, like two lane played Ole Miss. You know, there are some big ones in there. Uh, but generally, you look up and down this thing. It was, a, it was a tough week for the AAC. The winning teams were UTSA, Navy, Rice, South Florida, and Memphis. The losing teams were everybody else. And that was us, SMU, Tulane, East Carolina, UAB, Florida Atlantic, North Texas, Charlotte, and Temple. So, okay, let's do this. Biggest win of the week. Clear cut, in my opinion. Feel free to chime in, Matt, if you think there's a bigger one. But my opinion, I think you got one choice here, and that is Rice beating Houston in double overtime, 43 to 41. Rice just beat Houston. I think this was, let me let me pull it up. I'm pretty sure it was in Houston. Let me Let me verify this. It was uh, at Rice. I mean, it was in Houston, it was at Rice. but it was at Rice. Oh, yeah, so. in Houston because Rice is in Houston. So I was, I was yes. right and wrong at the same time. Um, yes, this was at Rice's stadium. 
And Rice pulled this thing off. I Man, I didn't watch any of this game. I hardly watched any games on Saturday at all just because I was in Washington like for the Seattle stuff. But uh, man, I wish I would have gotten to see this one. I cannot imagine the look on Dana Holgerson's face as he realized they were going to lose this game. The Scott and Holman guys were so pissed on Twitter, justifiably, you know, as they should be after a loss like that. But that's got to be the biggest one. I watched the fourth quarter. Um, and I really thought it was going to turn into a Tulsa SMU 2019 because <laughs> Houston came back from a 21 point deficit to send it Whoa, in overtime. Man. So, yeah. Like Rice had this like in hand before Houston's comeback. And then, you know, fortunately managed to stay <laughs> Houston off in overtime. But I, I was worried there for a little bit. Yeah. Look at that. 21 first quarter points. For Rice, 21 nothing at the end of the first quarter against Houston. That is amazing. And then they go seven to seven in the second quarter, zero to zero in the third. And then Houston puts up 21 unanswered in the fourth to put it to overtime and then still lose. Oh, God. It's beautiful. Got to be the game of the week right there. Um, the worst loss from a conference perspective, I think there were a lot of bad losses. As I mentioned, five and nine, got plenty to choose from. The worst one, I think, in terms of disappointment. Well, and that's where I'm coming at this one from is North Texas losing to, according to the SP plus number 124 Florida international by hey. 13 or what is that? Seven by, by a touchdown, 46 that's, to 39. That's two and one number 124 FIU. <laughs> yeah, that's true. North Texas is now Owen two. Eric Morris, first year head coach down bad for the mean green right now. I remember when we were talking about who's going to replace Philip Montgomery talking about Eric Morris, because this is the guy that was the incarnate word head head coach before G.J. Kinney. Kinney was only there for a year and then ends up at Texas State. This guy had kind of built up incarnate word, more or less, you know, sustained success at least there for a longer period of time than than Kinney. So Morris gets the North Texas job. We pass up on him um, is what it sounded like. And that might have been (laughs) that might have been a good call. Uh, You know, it's only a two game sample size so far but absolutely not the start that North Texas was thinking they were going to have this year. They had a successful season last season. Yeah. They fired their coach Seth Luttrell um, and they lost their starting quarterback, but they're like, there was some hype around them. Not like they were going to be awesome, but like they were supposed to be a pretty solid team. And so far they're looking like a bad, straight up a bad team. Um, So Eric Morris found himself in a tough situation so far in North Texas. All I'm saying Teams in the Dallas-Fort Worth might want to stop hiring coaches with the last name of Morris. SM, like Chad Morris worked out pretty well for SMU, right? He went on to Arkansas, but like then it really fell off after that um, for Arkansas, and his career obviously has taken a turn for the worse. Now you got Eric Morris over here. Another Dallas team. It's not going great. Not going great. I don't know. Stay away from the Morrises. Where is Chad Morris right now? He's on somebody's staff. He was... Uh, oh, he's on I don't Clemson. know. Yeah, he's on Clemson's staff. This year, like, yeah, I was, I saw that after the, uh, the Duke. I mean, you want to point to why Clemson has fallen. I mean, I'm not, I'm, it's, it's probably Chad Morris. That's all. That's all. It's got to be, you know, who knows? Yeah. Can I, so my favorite loss of the week, can I, can I do that? Um, that would be, oh, I know what it's going to be. UAB losing. Oh, that's not Southern. Ooh. Um, because Georgia Southern's rocking with my boy, Davis Brin. Oh, that's true. Davis Brin, 318 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. I mean, I'm always going to pull for Davis Brin unless we meet them in 
uh, in a bowl. Like, dude, that would be sick. I mean, I know people would look at Tulsa, Georgia Southern and be like, yeah, that's kind of a boring game. But like Tulsa fans would probably think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And so, I mean, this was, it was 49, 35 Georgia Southern. So it was a pretty competitive game, a high scoring affair through, um, yeah, just a high scoring affair. So, and a lot of fun. I watched, this is another one. I actually, I feel like you, I watched a decent amount of American football, uh, just kind of like switching between stuff between the, uh, Tulsa and the OSU game this weekend. So sweet. Cause OSU, I feel for anybody who is like a secondary OSU fan or who is uh, in a relationship with somebody that is an OSU fan <laughs> at a 9.30 p.m. kickoff. Oh, yeah, that was Arizona State, right? Yeah, so that's going to be... I kind of makes me not want to go to the Mountain West or the Pac-12. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't I want to have kickoffs that late. Yeah, that is true. What did you uh, think my favorite loss was going to be? I thought for sure you were going to say East Carolina falling to Marshall. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 31 to 13. Dude, the East Carolina fans are so mad. Everybody was asking for their OC, Donnie Kirkpatrick, to be fired after that game. And they're 0-2, man. This is the East TU team that was like, they're, you know, who knows? Maybe they're still, they'll still be fine, probably. But 0-2 to start the year is not how people thought this was going to go. This, so I talked about it earlier in terms of like needing the quarterback situation for my prediction to be good, but like the results from this weekend actually make me a little more positive about us being able to go eight and four because you look at the teams that we play, like they're all kind of within that 90 to 124 range right? SP plus and they almost all lost like East Carolina lost Florida Atlantic lost North Texas lost rice. I don't know. But I think Houston's kind of overrated. Yeah. Um, or I don't, I don't know if they're even overrated. I think Houston's just kind of like down this year. South Florida. I mean, they beat Florida AM, but they're still like FCS team. Charlotte lost to Mer- to Maryland. Temple lost badly to Rutgers. Yeah. And then you throw on top Northern Illinois, who we talked about being the most concerning, lost yeah. to FCS Southern Illinois. Go Salukis, right. uh, for all my Southern Illinois True. Carbondale fans. <laughs> So now I'm like, okay, thinking on that, there's like five of our games totally are within people there. Now, I think some of the games above SMU, Tulane, those ones are harder uh, like than I thought they were going to be. But this weekend yeah. actually made me feel a little more competitive because the American is not as strong uh, <laughs> as doesn't look like it as it was believed. Like one of the big ones we talked about, I remember with Caden. And when we were talking with him earlier this season was Florida Atlantic. They were in like project from a projection standpoint, they were on the same level as SMU and Tulane in terms of like the percentage chances that Tulsa might win that game. That's got to be totally flipped now. You just lost to a bad Ohio team. Um, that's at home, right? Like that, that's tough. That's a tough deal for you. So now I feel way better about that FAU game. And that gives it, that would bump me. Cause I had I, us either losing, uh, to FAU or to SMU. And now I think like we'll probably still lose to SMU, but we're definitely not going to lose to both. Like it seems like we'll probably probably pick up one of those games. So I'm feeling pretty good. Um, yeah, really weird, really weird week. Not a good look for the conference, but fun to talk about. <laughs> All right. Anything else, Matt? Um, let me double check on if, if you've got anything else, go for it, but I'm going to double check if we've got any reviews to touch on here. Okay, we will call it a show right there. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the podcast. If you're not already, make sure to follow us. Hit the follow button in your podcast player of choice. That's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast. However you listen to your podcast, we are there. 
While you're there, drop us a rating and a review, write up something nice. That would be awesome. We will read it live on the show if you leave us a five-star written review. Um, thanks to Andy for dropping the last, the most recent one. Really does help. Um, so please drop one if you can. Um, also, I want to count th- call this out before I forget about it. If you have weird audio quality uh, for our podcast on Spotify um, or elsewhere, honestly, anywhere, let us know. Um, get in touch. That's the feedback we're looking for. Uh, we got some feedback a couple weeks ago that I forgot to bring up in our last podcast. Um, that one of us was a little bit quiet. And I think that happens sometimes on Spotify and Matt knows some workaround for that. Uh, maybe Matt, if you want to give that a call out real quick, go for it. Um, so apparently there's a way to change that. So, but anyway, if you are having this problem, let us know, Matt, what's the, uh, what's the workaround in case that, that does I, I'm going to have to check it again. It's something in the Spotify settings though. Um, I tweeted about it last year. I will find that and I'll maybe I'll post it in our, uh, show notes tomorrow sweet sounds good so yeah get in touch um email is the golden hurricast at gmail.com or you can hit us up on twitter um if you've got uh some audio issues going on uh but anyway um we do all this for free uh if you want to help us out financially you can do that go to our website thegoldenhurricast.com slash support we have several different ways you can help us out there one of them is merchandise we've got shirts hoodies mugs stickers you can pick some up be awesome to see some people on some hurricast stuff for the ou game uh, if you buy it now, Matt, and if you're going to, especially if you're going to be at the OU game, we can just bring it to you. No shipping. Um, any of that stuff, we'll have it to you at the game. That would be perfect. Um, and yeah, that's it. Finally, uh, we're on Twitter and X or whatever at, at Golden Hurricast. Um, mentioned already, our email address is thegoldenhurricast at gmail.com. And that's it. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. And we will talk to you next week. Stay golden. Stay golden.